Welcome to the SureDog Radio Network preview for UFC Fight Night 210, Sanhagen vs. Song, also known as UFC Vegas 60. I'm your host, Ben Duffy of SureDog.com, and with me, as always, is Keith Schillen, the executive producer of the SureDog Radio Network. Keith, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing good. I, it's so funny. I'm, I'm listening to you talk about the numbers, UFC 2-whatever and, and UFC Vegas. They did both wrong. <laughs> You know, oh, yeah. it, like this is not the 200th event. You know, it's not it's not the uh, 60th time they've been in Vegas. They were in Vegas like let's let's ignore all those other times before yeah. the uh, the performance center. You know, um, it's. I agree. It's no. It's 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 a meaningless number numbering system. I wish we could get onto something standardized so that different news outlets yeah, just, so that different databases so that we and tapology use yeah. the same system so that because like wikipedia <laughs> copies sure dog system so they yeah. call this event ufc fight night 210 it's not yeah. the 210th fight night no. like were all those ufc on fx and ufc on fox <laughs> not also <laughs> fight nights of course they were yeah, and yeah. they were all in vegas too it's no it's, it's the ufc versus um yeah it's a nightmare why, why can't we just call it ufc sanhagen versus yadong or, or whatever the you know so the the fighters can actually argue who's the a side like they do in boxing it would make too much sense yeah so that's why and we have 15 fights to talk about let's not go to we have other shows to go down this road we just called them that like called them by the headliners and then for database purposes just number them by this is the number either of the free event or the pay-per-view event okay you know for just for our own putting it in order that would be lovely. It's a great idea that they we have 15 fights to let's change the entire structure of the events. Yeah, let's let's well, you, as you mentioned, we got 15 fights here. Uh, what's what's your letter grade looking at this one in advance, knowing it's a free card? Yeah, it's how tough. what's your level of anticipation? Yeah, it's tough always following a UFC pay per view. That's always tough because. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have the advantage. You don't have the press conferences. You don't have all the things to get really excited for. When I'm walking around work, I don't have all these people asking me about it compared to, like, pay-per-views. But for a fight night, I think it's pretty solid. I, I love the main event. It's It yeah. doesn't hold too much weight in the division, being that 135 is so backlogged right now. I mean, you got, you know, Dillashaw fighting for the title, and then Cejudo's coming back, and, and Marlon Vera is, deserves a title shot, and... There's somebody else I'm, I'm not thinking of that's right there. Uh, oh, um, Jan versus O'Malley winner. Yeah. And and then if Yadon can beat Sanhagen, he's right in there. So they're kind of further down the list, but stylistically, it is such a fun fight. And there's a lot of fun prospects on this fight. There's a lot of, even some of the matchups that aren't the best fighters, the, they're like, they match well. So I, I yeah. give it like a B minus. I'm with you. I, I, was, I was thinking uh, B. You know, I could go B minus as 15 fight cards go. As you point out, this one is pretty solid. There have been some 15 fight cards like there's one that we talked about, and I think I compared it to Golden Corral. Do they have Golden Corral in New England? Yeah. OK, <laughs> well, it's like, hold on. No, we don't have them in New England. But when I was in Virginia, we went to Golden Corral. It's like, okay. listen, I know people like say how nasty Golden Corral. Listen. Yeah, the Schiller family loves some Golden Corral. Like, I go up there, man. If I'm not throwing up in the parking lot, I want to walk it out. I didn't get my visor in. I just like, man, I, I always sit there. I go, well, how do they make any money in this place? Like, I just hit my fourth piece of steak. What's going on? 
See, that's so Keith will get this analogy because at Golden Corral, it's like, well, none of this stuff is that great, but man, there sure is a lot of it. And yeah. that's what some of the other 15 fight cards have been like this year. But this one is like going to like the little more upscale buffet, you know, like okay. you're pretty much everything is like I, I could take some of that. Uh, my only complaint, if I had one, is that this fight card didn't have to be 15 fights. There are three fights on this card with a late notice replacement where they could have just let it to fall to 14 or 13 or 12. Yeah. 12 is perfectly manageable, but they were like, no, we have to have someone to fight Maria Agapova. You know, yeah. we have to we have to get on. <laughs> the fans demand it. Yeah, the fans. The fans. <laughs> I mean, I demand it. Maybe we'll see something hilarious. Was, so it was, hold on, I hope we're on the same. Who, who's fighting Agapova? I hope I, we're at the same Jillian card. Robertson. Okay, okay. I, I make yeah. sure there was another change that I missed. Yeah. And then there are two more fights in this card that were pushed to September uh 17th from earlier dates like bozer versus nascimento lad versus mcmahon were pushed to this card from another card so this didn't have to be 15 fights but it is and for a 15 fight card it ain't bad as you pointed out uh yeah but i also like i i didn't have to go up for another like plate of chicken wings but i did yeah and <laughs> i mean you're walking by the potatoes you might might as well just slop them on the corner of your plate like you know it's I a wasted like trip if I'm a grown man, so I don't eat a lot of pudding, but what I'm at Cold Crown, we'll grab pudding, a little bit of yeah. cheesecake, yeah. Keith, Keith gets it. Any other thoughts about this before we uh, dive into the enormously long prelim card? Yeah, let's do it. We head to the women's strawweight division for a matchup between Loma Lubunmi and Denise Gomez. Lubunmi the one who officially is uh, Konklak Supisara, uh, 26-year-old Thai, 6-3 and three overall, 3-2 three and two since joining the UFC out of uh, Invicta Fighting Championships. She is coming off a loss. She dropped a unanimous decision to Lupi Godinez last November at UFC Fight Night Vieta versus Tate. Prior to that, she had won back-to-back -back unanimous decisions over Jin Yu Fry and Sam Hughes. She'll try to get back on the win... She'll try to get back in the win column against Gomez. The 22-year-old Brazilian is 6-1 overall. Uh, that is six wins in a row after losing her debut. So she's on a six-fight win streak. Most recently fought just two weeks ago at Dana White's Contender Series on August 23rd, where she took a unanimous decision over Rayani Dos Santos. Uh, prior to that, she had a third-round TKO of Milana Dudieva at Invicta back in March. Dudieva, of course, also a UFC veteran. She'll try to make it seven straight here. She is not favored to do so. Uh, she is plus 220, uh, Loma around plus, or minus 260 as the favorite. Uh, Gomez is in for Diana Belbitza. This was going to be uh, Loma versus Belbitza, which would have been a fun matchup of a more European style kickboxer versus obviously a decorated Muay Thai uh, striker. Instead, we get Gomez versus uh, versus Loma. It's definitely a, a different clash of styles. Uh, Gomez is a Parana Valetudo product, so she's a teammate of Jessica Andrade. And it seems like all the women that come out of that camp, they have they, they come from the same basic mold as Andrade, like a stocky, powerful woman <laughs> that runs on power and athleticism and just 
incorporates different parts of her game. Like Carl Hosa, you know, has certain parts of that mm-hmm. game. Gomez has certain parts of that game. Uh, from what I've seen of her, both in Invicta and uh, on the Contender series, she prefers to be the bang it out on the feet version of uh, of Andrade, and she used it to pretty good effect. I mean, she is big and strong. Uh, she's not quite as stocky and fire plug like sure. as as Hosa or Andrade, but she's I mean, she's built. And she was able to bully around Dudieva, who always has had trouble with physical bullies. She, it was a close competitive fight with Dos Santos, but she arguably won all three rounds, definitely won at least two, uh, and just was mm-hmm. the physically stronger woman in the clinch, was able to fight off Dos Santos' takedowns for the most part and just keep this thing standing. My main concern is that was two weeks ago. She <laughs> looks like a woman who has a substantial cut, to get mm-hmm. to 115. I mean, she she fought at 125 numerous times uh, in, in Brazil. So she's making this cut again, and I think it's exactly like, you know, two weeks and three days or something, because obviously it's from Tuesday yeah. night to... But that concerns me. Otherwise, this is a sneaky, tough fight for, for Loma. Uh, I feel as though the die is kind of cast for Loma Lupumi at the, at the UFC level. She's tiny. She's really, really small. She's she's short. And while she's not skinny, like she's kind of compact, she's not Jessica Andrade either. Like she's, she's tiny. She's and, built like a horse jockey. Yes, she's built like a horse jockey. And shout out to our other podcast, the uh, Shill and Duffy Horse Racing Show. Was, <laughs> sorry, that was a uh, we I got to kill a, a kill a joke. That was last. That's week. that's uh, and that's you know that's for the regulars here. You know, if you're not here every week, you won't you won't catch those references. Uh, and she's not even like the Angela Hill thing where she's, yeah, she's short, but you know her legs and arms are deceptively long, and, and you know she usually doesn't give up reach. She's just short, and against small fighters where she's able to kind of operate, you know, within her kickboxing range against them, where she's able to make use of her skills in the clinch against them. She's done fine. She beat Jinyu Fry. Jinyu Fry is small. Uh, Angela Hill was too big for her. Lupi Godinez was way too strong for her. She, I mean, she was not able to do the Loma Lugbumi thing against Lupi Godinez. Uh, Gomez can do that to her. I just don't know if Gomez can do that to her for three rounds yeah. if she had a brutal water cut to get where she is. Because her fight on the Contender Series, I mean, it was a pretty high-paced fight. Like, she didn't take much damage, which is why she was able to come back and do this. But, uh, like, she, she certainly, like, put her work in. I know Loma is a two-and-a-half-to-one favorite here. Yeah. But... I see Gomez just kind of being able to push her around. I think if Loma forces the clinch, Gomez is either going to be able to do damage to her there, maybe take her down if she wants to, or just shuck her off and go back to operating at range. And while I expect that Gomez is probably going to fade late, I'm thinking she's going to have two rounds banked away by the time she does. Uh, Give me Gomez in a pretty big upset here uh, uh, over Loma Lugbumi. Oh, wow. That is a big upset pick. Uh, Loma, as you mentioned, she she's a she's an animal. That's that's what happened. She's an animal fighting at strawweight. Uh, you mentioned that yeah, you know, how decorated of a striker is. She's a multi-time Muay Thai champion. She's really fast. I mean, she's got quick hands, fast kicks. 
her teeth kick up the middle is, is her better brother. I mean, that's what you expect from a traditional Muay Thai style striker. Despite being undersized, she can win clinch battles, but I think it I think you're onto something. It depends on who she is in the clinch. Because she like she got beat up by Angel Hill in the clinch. But Jin Yu Fry, who also is a you know former Adam Weight Adam Weight champion, she had a lot of success. She was framed and she understands, you know, how to land little small shots and, and the little space that she creates. She gets inside, she looks for knees, she looks for elbows. She's got like even though she's out of it, she's got some good power. Uh I like that she added some takedowns against Sam Hughes. That that was something I, I do like. But because of her Muay Thai style, she, she gets taken down for a, a little too much for my liking. Gomez also is a kickboxer. Definitely more kickboxer, like your traditional uh, European-style kickboxer. I know she's from Brazil, but that style. She's a pressure striker. Good output on the feet. I mean, she just marches down her opponents. Good head movement. She, she, she pills a little bit for me. But she also has time, but she slips, which I really like. She's heavy on her front foot, which leaves her open for leg kicks. But she generates some serious power because she can kind of spring off those back uh, off her back foot. She whips her overhand. She hits really hard. Got some hard calf kicks. She had a really good high kick that DC kept pointing out in her last fight on the contender series. Kept saying that was like her best tool. The one thing I'm concerned is she was throwing out these like unnecessary spinning attacks. Hopefully that's some of that, like, she could she throw out a uh, spinning wheel kick. That might have been a little bit on fighting the contender series. I'm trying to get a contract. Uh, but she's very physically strong. You mentioned, like, she looks like Jessica Andrash. Uh, she she looks for a switch when she's going to get taken down, which I don't like. If anybody who knows how to defend a switch, all you got to do is the arm that they're posting. That's how you take it down. It's pretty simple. But uh, when she got taken down, good get-up game. And she really showed her in her last fight, the cardio. Uh, she she was coming on stronger. I like both of these fighters. I think both fighters are pretty good. I think Loma's more technically sound. I think she's faster. I, I also think she might even still have the advantage in, in like, she might be a more technical, better wrestler, but I don't think she has the advantage of being stronger. Uh, you made a really good point about the weight cutting, um, how much that affects Gomez, but Gomez is going to be bigger. She's going to hit harder. That's why I'm with you, brother. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm going with the upset too, man. That's why uh, I love that you were on it. I think we get some some wild exchanges, but I think Gomez is going to do the more damage. Give me Gomez uh, by split decision. There we go. Uh, right out of the gate, at least as the card is currently constituted, uh, Shilina Duffy going with the plus two twenty underdog. So that is why you tune in, and that is why we tell you please bet responsibly. Next up, we head to the men's bantamweight division for a matchup between Tony Gravely and Javid Basharat. Gravely, the 30-year-old Virginia native, is 23-7 overall. He is 4-2 in the UFC since joining out of the third season of Dana White's Contender Series and as a former champ in both King of the Cage and CES. He is on a two-fight win streak, those uh, coming against Simon Oliveira back at uh, UFC 270 in January, and most recently, Johnny Munoz Jr., whom he knocked out in just 68 seconds at UFC Fight Night Volkov versus Rosenstrike in June. He will be taking on Basharat, the undefeated 27-year-old Palestinian by way of London, is 12-0 overall. He is 1-0 in the UFC since joining out of the fifth season of Dana White's Contender Series last October. He made his UFC debut in March at UFC Fight Night Santos versus Ankalaev, where he took a unanimous decision over Trevin Jones. 
Odds are fairly close right now, but Basharat is a moderate favorite. He's minus 170, Gravely plus 140. Uh, Keith, you mentioned during the introduction, and I agreed with you, that this is a surprisingly strong card for a free fight night card, for a 15 fight card where there's often a lot of filler. For this fight to be second on the prelims <laughs> as it is currently constituted, that's something we normally find ourselves saying about like a pay-per-view. Like we've got an undefeated, you know, kind of sensation like star in the making fighting second against a guy who's four and two in the UFC and looks like he might be a potential uh, contender himself at some point. And yeah, they're, you know, they're fighting for next to nobody in the apex second fight of the night. Who have you gotten this one? And do you, do you see top 15 upside for either or both of these guys? Yeah, I mean, I, it's an absolute shame, especially for uh, Tony uh, Gravely to be this low. I mean, he's, I think he's done enough. And, and when you look at the people who's above him, like uh, Alan Amadowski should be, not be high, higher on the card than Tony Gravely. Uh, um, Nicholas Moda versus Cameron Van Camp shouldn't be higher. Like the, But I wonder if this has to do with Basharat, you know, being from – you know, Afghanistan. I wonder if it's a time thing. They're trying to put it as a decent time. You know, I know he's, he trains out of England too. He's got connections to a couple of countries out there. I wonder if that, that might be a reason why it's early in the card. I'm hoping that's the reason. I hope it's not just someone just threw this together like that. Thank you for correcting me, by the way. Yeah, he's Afghanistani by way of London, not Palestinian. But thank you. Yes. Yeah. It shows you I was reading my notes instead of paying attention to what you said. <laughs> um, as far as the matchup, it's a really fun fight. Yeah, I mean, Gravely has looked so good lately. He is a guy that just suddenly he has power in his hands. He explodes off his back foot to close distance and unload combinations in the pocket. Uh, he, he He's wild. He's been clipped in the past. I mean, Nate Manis hurts him. But if he lands some of those bombs, I mean, he's, he's starching, guys. He's you know, He has a D1 wrestling background, so he has some really good entries. He explodes through the hips really good at driving to the next level though at times and, I, and i've said this a lot about gravely he, he makes some mistakes when he shoots he kind of gets sprawled out on and kind of eating him for like resting underneath like holding on to leg which i don't like but he gets on top he's strong on top smothering top pressure he does really good to secure a position before landing shots i mean you go back to his early days and it's great he was accused of kind of laying and praying like by that style kind of really he understands control of the position but when he unloads he's got some good power good ground and pound because of the way he boxes he throws so much heat and his wrestle heavy style he has slowed down the pass and that's probably the one thing that's going to keep him away from the top 10 and the chin like he's been starched a little bit but if he can sharp those a little bit he is a contender now basharat he's a really good striker he's a muay thai stylist who can fight at both stances very poised Calculated is the really word that I, I see when I think of him. Um, good vision. He can attack uh, from both sides. I like that he switches stance mid-combination, which is something I always talk about the highest level strikers. He's really accurate, too. Good pop on his shots. Very good jab. Good at getting past his opponent's defense with his hand battling. He's really good at winning hand battles and kind of using it to open up his own shots. I love that he digs the body. His calf kicks are a really big part of his game. He throws some teeth kicks up the middle. Uh, he also checks his opponent's kicks, which is something like very few people do. 
he can be low output sometimes, kind of keeping his opponents uh, in the battle, which I don't like, especially against a guy like uh, Gravely who, who fades late. So uh, that's something that I, I think he needs to prove. He also has some 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 improvements in the defense. He keeps his head on the center line. He keeps his chin a little high. He hangs his hands low, which which is all a problem. Uh, he will look for a takedown. Not not an explosive through your hips guy, but more of a creative scramble and winning him kind of guy. I like that he gets takedowns from catching kicks. Uh, he's got some good good control on the ground. He's a good grappler. He'll, he'll work for a better position. He can unload some good ground pound. He has six submission wins, and he showed in his last fight, which was a very big deal because he had all stoppage in the fight. He showed in his last fight he can go 15 minutes. So, uh, Bashrat's going to have to pick up the pace a little, especially against, like I said, against Gravely. That's the way you can beat Gravely is picking up the pace. A control pace. You don't want to overthrow stuff and, and, and give takedowns to Gravely. But if he can stop some takedowns and, and avoid some haymakers from Gravely, I think he's the more sound guy. I think he's a little bit longer. I think he can kind of jab and, and calf kick Gravely. Uh, I'm going to say Bashra stays undefeated and, and Bashra wins a decision. Yeah, I, I like the breakdown there. One thing I've appreciated about Gravely's development over the last uh, two or three fights is, I mean, as you, you've you pointed out, he he's developed like a surprising amount of power and a willingness to employ it. And he's done it without abandoning his wrestling. Like there's, there's two ways that wrestlers become knockout artists and there's the good way and, and the bad way and the good way kind of what gravely has been doing is keeping the threat of the takedown allowing that to open things up for for his hands and you know if you can do that then you're like the good version of johnny hendrix or the good like early version of josh koscheck michael chandler is a good example of someone like that who had knockout power but he still has his wrestling yes that's a perfect example and you know the, the bad example is someone who kind of gives up on that and they just become a right-handed fastball artist like Yoel Romero. Yoel Romero. Josh, Josh the Koscheck. bad version of Koscheck. The bad, bad. version of Hendricks. Jay Dan Allenberg. Henderson at times. Dan, yeah. yeah. Oh, dude, what was the last time Dan Henderson tried to take someone down? Yeah. Did he ever in the UFC? Like Dan Henderson, came back? Dan Henderson took down Anderson over in the opening round of their title fight. Easily won the first round. The second goes, oh, I'm going to start throwing haymakers. I think it's, I think it's her. It gets, you know, it was, it was basically, yeah, it got starched dropped and then he got soaked yep there, there you go that might and that might have been the last time he tried to take someone down in the u.s <laughs> yeah, that, maybe. that was it yeah somehow, uh, yeah somehow it was it was his it was his wrestling was the issue yeah <laughs> uh i i am concerned you know about him about his tendency to shoot from too far outside to camp out as you pointed out like after he gets sprawled on because basharat is someone who will both punish him with like punches and elbows underneath or just spin around to the back basharat like he excels in scrambles that come off of him just grabbing a you know grabbing a kick and just kind of tipping the guy over and they they go to the ground or off of uh, somebody's blown takedown he's very opportunistic that way uh he has a fast back take as you pointed out he actually has more submission wins than knockout wins uh and i think half of his submissions are rear naked chokes and they were all off of either him hurting someone and them shooting a desperation takedown or him grabbing a kick, sort of a sloppy takedown, a scramble ensues, and he ends up on, on the back. Uh, those are things I could see happening to Gravely, especially tired Gravely past about the midpoint of the second round. Uh, I, I'm with you here. Like, I'm, I'm leaning towards Basharat, but, you know, he's, he's not as adept defensively as a striker as he is offensively. 
And this could end in two minutes with Gravely just catching him flush and just knocking him flat. And all of a sudden, the undefeated like hype train is over. But I, I think that's the outside chance. I think the main chance is probably that Gravely has a lot of good moments in the first round and the second round maybe wins one of those two, but Basharat wins going away and maybe even starts to style on Gravely a little bit as he's tired and his shots slow down and his, and his punches slow down and become less and less frequent. So give me Basharat by decision as well. Next up, it is the women's flyweights as Maria Agapova and Jillian Robertson square off. Agapova, the 25-year-old uh, Kazakhstani who goes by Demon Slayer, is 10-3 and overall. She is 2-2 two and two since joining the UFC out of uh, Invicta and the third season of Dana White's Contender Series, where she lost to Tracy Cortez, uh, you know, but nonetheless is a veteran of the series. Uh, she lost... Her last time out, it was a second round arm triangle choke submission by Marina Moroz at UFC 272 in March. Prior to that, she choked out Sabina Maso last October at UFC Fight Night Dern versus Rodriguez. Uh, she will try to get back in the W column against Robertson. Uh, the 27 year old Canadian is 10 and 7 overall. She's 7 and 5 in the UFC. She uh, lost her last time out. It was a unanimous decision loss to JJ Aldrich. Prior to that, she choked out Priscilla Cachoeira at UFC 269 last December, in spite of some of the most blatant fouls that we have seen in the UFC in years. And Keith and I are both on record as saying that Cachoeira should have been cut after that. But it is what it is. Uh, she is trying to get back in the W column as well. She is slightly favored to do so. Robertson minus 130. Agapova plus 115. Worth mentioning here that Agapova is stepping in on relatively short notice for Melissa Gatto, who was originally scheduled to face Robertson. And same as in the Loma Lukbumi versus Denise Gomez fight that we talked about earlier tonight, Keith, the fact that Agapova is stepping in on short notice helps me make up my mind here. And here it actually does make up my mind for me instead of just kind of informing my thought process because to me, Maria Agapova's standout trait is an extremely suspect gas tank. She's a fairly decent-sized 125-pounder. She's a pretty good athlete. She's pretty well-rounded. Like, she's a good grappler. Uh, she's a, you know, a striker with some power. She's extremely young, which always... You know, always promising. I think she was 21 when the UFC signed her. But she slays demons. She slays demons. And apparently slaying demons is tiring work because her gas tank sucks. Uh, it's because she's up all night. Just, she's just, up. That's exactly it. She's up all night. She's sharpening so, some steaks. Well, no, that's, that's vampires. With the, with the two boys from Supernatural. Just right. He's the third exactly. person. Oh, remember, man. Super remember Ron, Ron Waterman, the HTO man? He was like, oh, a, yeah. He was like a minister on Sunday that beat people up Saturday nights. Like that should have been his nickname, the Demon Slayer. <laughs> oh man, uh, I mean, she was in one of just the most ridiculous fail moments of 2020 when she took on Shayna Dobson, someone that she was like minus 1,200 against. Dobson was like 0 and 3 in the UFC, yeah. and she comes out like dancing and mugging for the camera. And 20 minutes later, she's being taken out on a stretcher. Not because she's injured, but because she is too tired to walk. Yeah. Like, she's the reason that Shayna Dobson got another, like, year and a half in the UFC. <laughs> and 
there's no evidence that she's really improved since then. No. I mean, she beat Sabina Maso, but Sabina Maso just turned out not to be yeah, UFC material. Good. And she started off looking okay against Marina Moroz and ended up getting choked out in the second round. And just the second round was complete dominance for Moroz, who is kind of borderline herself. Yeah. All of that against Jillian Robertson. I mean, Jillian Robertson, we've seen her ceiling. She's 27, but I I think you have explicitly said, oh, and, and I agree with you, that, that you're done waiting for Jillian Robertson yep, to turn the done. corner. She just is what she is. Yeah, but she's finished product. She's a finished product, but speaking of finished, unless Agapova finishes her in the first round, I know exactly how this song ends. Like, and yeah. that's kind of what I'm expecting here. Robertson yeah. is, a, is a poor striker. Like she's yeah. defensively porous, doesn't have much power, and, but on the ground, She's kind of savvy and tough, uh, too too willing to look for submissions off her back, too willing to just kind of concede position. I think part of that is that she's just not physically super strong, not yeah. a great wrestler. But, I, I mean, Agapova will come out swinging. She'll probably take Robertson down. And the question for me is, will she, like, do enough damage to Robertson to – finish the fight or to at least get like a 10-8 round because if not she's going to be tired robertson's going to be fine and i think robertson probably taps her in the second or third round uh so yeah give me a fight in which agapova wins the first round robertson comes back to tap her out late in the second to nobody's surprise uh and they both were who they who we thought they were yeah um robertson is like she's like the good-looking jordan levitt red hair and was was good looking in a, in a I, girl obviously and a you know what? we're not the best judges for all we know jordan levitt is an extremely handsome man by the standards of those who judge such things so he's better looking in the comments yeah he's better looking at me so uh, yeah he's got the twerk down better than i can uh, so <laughs> jillian as you mentioned she's she's a she's not a good athlete she's a minus athlete she 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 never has improved as a striking. Her striking, her boxing is low output. She throws arm strikes. She generates no powers. Kicks are just to close the distance. She's very hittable. She lacks head movement, but she's good on the ground. She has decent entries, though she'll often shoot too far away. She can be extremely desperate to get on the ground. She, she can catch a kick. She just dive at the legs. We talked about, I've seen a jump guard. I've seen try a flying submission. She tried a flying armbar against uh, Talia Santos. So she isn't like a strong overall grappler, but she's pretty good on top. If she can get on top, she's a good top side grappler. She's, uh, she emphasizes position over submission. She doesn't rush a submission, which is probably her biggest strength. She's got some good slick back takes. She has six submission wins. But as you mentioned, if she's on her back, she plays BJJ way too long, takes way too much damage, um, doesn't show any urgency to get up, which is which is worrisome. Uh, Agapova is, as you mentioned, she's only 25, but like Robinson, like she needs to start improving right now, or I'm going to give up on her too. I mean, she's she's a southpaw that has she has raw tools. I say that she has pretty quick hands. Uh, she she has a little kind of a brawling style. She she makes a mistake. She's not very technically sound. She makes a mistake with circling to her opponent's power, which is which is an issue. Kicks are not a big part of her game, but she's very physically strong. She likes to get the fight to the ground, whether she just bull rushes over or catches a kick. Uh, she will shoot, but not with much setup. I wouldn't call her a wrestler. 
if she gets to the ground, she does look to advanced position. She has heavy ground and pound, but she has weak takedown defense. She had no answer from um, Marna Moroz's ground game. I mean, she was tossing it up submission, but wasn't even coming close to getting the submissions. And you talk about her cardio, and, and yes, her cardio is a huge, massive thing. But some of it, I think she might be a front runner. And what I mean by that is she's one of these persons that she's way better than her opponent, where she can kind of just blitz her opponent and get nothing coming back. She'll look really good. But if her opponent has a little court in them, they can battle. They can kind of take some and come back. I think it's, yes, it's, it's cardio, but I also think it's a little bit of a mental thing with her, uh, where she seems to fold. And I hate saying a, saying something like that. I, I really do hate saying, like, it, like I want that to be wrong because it, it sounds so bad. Like, uh, but as far as predictions go, I really think this is a perfect fight for Robertson. If she can't beat Agapova, she needs to be cut. In this case, I think she just gets the fight to the ground. I expect her to get some takedowns. I think she catches that pull over in a submission. I actually think she gets a first-round submission. So there Robertson, my first-round sub. Two picks for Regillian Robertson to uh, huh, right the ship a little bit after losing three of her last four fights. Man, so I'm looking at Robertson's record, and her last fight, you know, was against J.J. Aldrich, so, you know, not quite, but... Her other four, four UFC losses, Miranda Maverick, Tyler Santos, Macy Barber, and Mayra Bueno Silva. Those are just four physical hosses. Yeah. That, like, <laughs> that, that, that's rough. And Maria that's Acapova rough. can do that, but she can't do that for more than about four minutes. So no. I, I think that's why we feel the way we do about this fight. Next up, we have a middleweight matchup between Joseph Pfeiffer and Alan Amadovsky. Pfeiffer, the 25-year-old Pennsylvania native, is 9-2 overall. This will be his UFC debut after two appearances on Dana White's Contender Series. He was on the 2020 season where he was injured late in the first round against Dustin Stoltzfus. He uh, went back and won a fight in CFFC, came back in July in the first episode of this season of Dana White's Contender Series, where he knocked out Osman Diaz in the second round. If you watch the Contender Series, you will remember that episode because Pfeiffer was the only one signed, and very notably because Dana White just went off on the entire cast of people, just dropped the mic basically and walked off and left Laura Sanko to go, so I guess Pfeiffer got signed and nobody else did? And here we are. Uh, he is taking on... Amadovsky, the 34-year-old Macedonian, is Macedonian who has lived in Italy for most of his adult life, is 8-3 overall. He is 0-3 in the UFC. Uh, he has uh, he debuted back in 2019, dropped back-to-back -back fights to Christoph Yatko and John Phillips, came back from a couple injury-laden and COVID-sidelined years in May and got choked out by Joseph Holmes in the first round at UFC fight night home versus Vieira. So uh, most likely the back is against the wall for Amadovsky and uh, he is not favored to save his job here. He is plus 320 right now, Pfeiffer minus 400. And Keith, I understand why the odds are what they are because I'm, I'm fairly high on Pfeiffer as a prospect. He's not perfect. Okay. I mean, there's a reason he's not undefeated on the way on the way here. You know, he's he's not a finished product, but he has a ton of upside. He's young. He has enormous physical tools. He's uh, I mean, he's in good hands training wise. He looked I mean, he looked great on the contender series. He was just so like he was strong. He was fast. He was physically superior to Diaz. But these odds are mostly just that 
Amadovsky is not UFC material. <laughs> I, I mean, Amadovsky sucks. He's, I mean, he's a short squat middleweight, which that's fine. You can be a short squat middleweight if you have surprising athleticism like a Kelvin Gastelum does, or you have okay. elite, or you have elite athleticism like uh, Robert Whitaker does. But he doesn't. I mean, he's just a five ten muscular dude that doesn't really have any skills at a at a UFC level. I mean. When you have a 17-second knockout at the hands of John Phillips, one yeah. of the worst guys <laughs> to pass it. through the division Done. in the last five years, Done. then you disappear for a couple of years, you come back and you get choked out in 64 seconds by Joseph Holmes, who isn't <laughs> the blue chip of blue chip prospects. I mean, Amadovsky on paper? Man, you're so much nicer than I am. Like, you're so professional. This is why you work full-time for, for shit on. Because I'm like, he sucks. And you're like, you're saying everything I'm saying. But it, like as nice as you possibly can. Well, I gotta fill out the time. This yeah. can't be a fifty-five minute show. <laughs> I mean, there's fifteen fights. Maybe I should cut it short. But you can make a very good case that he's the worst middleweight in the UFC. And Pfeiffer, I don't know where his upside is. I, I think on the top end, he could still improve a ton and be be a contender. At worst, he's a guy that's going to stick around for a while because there are Amadovskis to be kind of cleared out. But. <laughs> He, I understand why he's a minus 400 favorite over Amadovsky. I expect that this might look something like the Osman uh, Diaz fight where uh, he's just, he's faster. He's got longer reach. Like Am Amadovsky, again, he, he has none of the physical tools that allow a short, compact fighter to excel at a UFC level. He can't get in range against taller guys. He can't get takedowns against UFC level athletes. Uh, so I expect Pfeiffer's probably just going to knock him out in the first round. Uh, if I had to guess, Amadovsky wades in with uh, some of his patented sloppy hooks. Uh, is probably going to be looking for a chance to get this fight to the ground if he can, uh, expecting that he'll have better survivability there. And Pfeiffer just either intercepts a takedown attempt with a knee or pancakes one, spins around to the back and pounds him out on the ground. But give me Pfeiffer by first round TKO. Wow. Yeah. Amadowski, I mean, he's looked terrible in three years. Like you mentioned, he got knocked out by John Phillips, submitted by Joseph Holmes. I mean, is there a worse run in three years than losing I, to those two guys? No, nope, um, that's... You mentioned he, he has high output, like when he when he actually doesn't get knocked out in, in seconds. When he actually gets to fight, he has high output. He marches down his foes. He throws wild haymakers. He loads up on everything, throws from his hips. He's a weak defensive wrestler. He really struggles in the bottom. I, I've had to go back like three or four fights to find some kind of offense from him. Against uh, Christoph Yako, he had moments. We had some pretty strong ground and pound when Yako somehow found himself on bottom briefly with Amadasi. Like that's and that was it, like, four, it like four years ago. That, that the one guy he did decently against is the best fighter of the bunch. Yeah, hey, hey, well, you throw the decent out there. Like he didn't get beat in sixteen seconds, but yes, yeah, yeah that is that is ironic of of, of the group. Uh, Fiverr, yeah, he's a, a lot of things you like about this guy. Stiff jab, good power. He really whips his shots. Six chaos. I mean, his last fight, beautiful walk-off, perfectly timed. It was his left hook, which is, you know, they talked about on the broadcast being his best punch. But I think it was uh, Ozzy Diaz. He just starched it with that. He, he does make the mistake of throwing too many power shots. I, I wish he'd kind of almost throw 70% power and then unload with bigger shots when the openings are there. 
he slows down a little bit and doesn't like to be pressured, so that's some things I, I don't like. But he's got some hard calf kicks. He's a good wrestler. He's very physically strong. He, he, he grab a leg, just pick you up, slam you. Slick back takes. He did, on the contender he did ride a little high for my liking and lost position. Uh, so he's got to clean that up. But he has two submission wins, and he almost had an uh, had an arm triangle choke on that uh, in that fight. So uh, Fifa has the pressure of trying to keep the Daniel Gracie, uh, Henzo Gracie, Philly that that whole team. They're undefeated in in the UFC. It's an incredible streak. I forget what it is. It's something like twenty and zero or something at this point. Uh, he has a streak of you know of have you know holding that the pressure. I think he keeps it going. I'm with you. I think Pfeiffer catches him early. I think he starches him. Give me uh, Pfeiffer my first round TKO. Next up is another middleweight matchup. This one featuring Anthony Hernandez versus Mark Andre Barrio. Hernandez, the 28 year old Californian, is nine and two with one no contest overall. He is three and two since joining the UFC out of the second season of Dana White's Contender Series, where he had a knockout of previously undefeated Jordan Wright that was later reversed to a no contest when he tested positive for cannabis. But since then, as I said, three and two, he has won two in a row. Uh, most recently, he took a unanimous decision over Josh Fremd at UFC 273 in April. Prior to that, it was last February at UFC 258 where he managed the shocking upset, uh, tapping out Rodolfo Vieira in the second round at UFC 258. Uh, in between, he missed most of 2021 with a variety of hand injuries. So it is, uh, you know, it, it's a second fight back from a pretty long layoff. He'll be facing Barrio. The 32-year-old Canadian is 14-5 and five with one no contest overall. He is 3-4 and four with one no contest in the UFC since joining as a previous two-division champ in TKO. Uh, that 3-4, and four, somewhat deceptive. Uh, he, he lost his first three fights in the UFC right out of the gates. Uh, you know, could easily have lost his job, but after a no contest versus Oscar Piajota, he is 3-1 uh, and one in his last four. Uh, he defeated Jordan Wright himself uh, back in April at UFC Fight Night, Lemos versus Andrade, uh, tapped him out uh, midway through the first round. Prior to that, he was the victim of Chidi Njokawani's UFC debut. We'll be talking about Njokawani a little later, but he's going to try to make it two in a row here. He is the slight underdog in his uh, endeavors to do so. Right now, Hernandez is minus 170, Barrio around plus 145. Uh, Keith? When I first scanned this card, you know, a couple weeks ago, just kind of looking at the lineup, I kind of went, eh, Hernandez versus Barrio, just, yeah, it's just another, just another fight. But for just another fight, it's not that bad. I just kind of <laughs> found myself surprised. Whoa, yeah, but like it's, it should be a banger. Hernandez is above 500 in the UFC. Barrio is, again, he's won three out of four over not bad opposition. Like this is surprisingly relevant. Like I, I dismissed this fight uh, too quickly, I think. How do you see this one going, and who do you see winning? Yeah, actually, I, I totally agree with everything you said. It, Hernandez is a minus athlete, but he makes up for it for just being super aggressive. He marched down his opponents, and he can crack. He, for a guy who's like a smaller middleweight, he's got some power. He's an, I'd say he's an okay wrestler, but I think he's a very underrated grappler. I mean, we talk about it. Obviously, he, his submission of uh, Hadafo Vieira is, is legendary. Yeah, Vieira was tired, but you still have to have the skills, uh, and, somewhat of a high-level skills to get a submission like that. It gets even a tired I, I, How yeah. did he get tired? 
he got tired because he had Hernandez on the ground the entire first round and couldn't do anything to him. That, yeah, exactly. And Hernandez made him work. And, and yeah, he finally submitted him. Yeah. It wasn't the first submission attempt where he just got lucky. He had Vera in a couple submissions up until that point. Uh, he loves his front headlock series, the guillotines, the anacondas. He's a weak defensive wrestler, but as you as you as you just mentioned, he works back to his feet. I mean, he showed incredible um, submission defense against uh, Vieira. Showed how hard he is to to submit, and he uses cardio as a weapon. Like that wasn't just oh Vieira got tired and I was working. Like that's what he does in all his fights. He just he works and works and works. He's on the gas pedal, and he's he's really he's a builder. Uh, Barrio. He's he's a high volume striker for a guy who's bricked up. You know the guy's ripped up guy. Uh, he doesn't fight like you think. He's a high volume fighter who he marches down his opponents. He's a, he's a bit of a headhunter. Uh, his best punch is his right hand. That's his best blow. But he he constantly looks for. It. He looks for it a little too much for my liking. He makes himself predictable. He has good KO power when he lands though. Hard calf kicks. He doesn't like being pressured though. He wants to be the guy moving forward. I go back to the Jung Young Park. It's been a while. But Jung Young Park beat him by just pressuring him. Like he, his pressure got to Barrio. He has some defensive holes. He pillars, which you know I don't like. He will shoot for a takedown, but he isn't a wrestler. He did show against uh, Chris Aviaco some good takedown defense, and he also has good cardio. That's what I meant by a guy who, like, for a bricked up guy, you don't expect him to have good cardio. He has pretty good cardio. I think this is a war. I, I think we have a war on hands. I, I think both guys will look to move forward. They'll look to throw down. I think both guys have some underrated wrestling. I'm taking Hernandez, though. He's a little bit younger. He has a little bit less damage. And honestly, he falls into that overachiever category, like that that group, like their Gerald Murray shots, the group that like the guys that we just like, like that you just look at them and they're like, man, he just, he's got so much heart. Uh, so I learned from <laughs> going against Gerald Murray I'm not going against Hernandez. So give me Hernandez by decision in an absolute war. Uh, I'm, I'm with you here pretty much from a to z uh hernandez physically he looks like a guy who could cut to 170 but i think it would be the worst possible thing for him to to ever try to do because it's not like he would suddenly become a a lights out knockout artist against welterweights and the like the cardio and the pace that have carried him to victory against more skilled and more talented 185ers might disappear so uh yeah, like he he does seem like an overachiever, and that's not meant as a backhanded compliment at all. Like that's fantastic. You know, some of the greatest fighters of all time are overachievers. Like when was Randy Couture ever like the more athletic, yeah, or bigger? Frankie Edgar. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, <clears throat> and the thing is, Barrio has uh, like a certain amount of that as well. Like this is a guy whose back was absolutely against the wall two or three years ago. And I fully expected to be out of the, the UFC. Like I fully expected he was going to wash out and just be kind of a low key major bust for a guy that again, came over as a two division champ from TKO. And yeah, I, he just won the light heavyweight belt once in a one-off fight, you know, before he left, but he had been their middleweight champ and had beaten some good people and then just kind of turned into nothing, but no, he's turned into something. And uh, he's just, he's become a better fighter, like kind of on the job at the UFC level. But here, I think this is a rough match up for him because he is a guy that also has become someone who comes on stronger as the fight goes along. He's become a little bit of a builder himself, but I think Hernandez is more of one. And as you pointed out, Hernandez is younger. Uh, I mean, he's at the age where 
he's still probably making substantive improvements from fight to fight. So give me Hernandez by decision in an all-out war. But this is one of the harder fights on the card for me to call. Next up, the featherweights take the cage as it is a matchup between Damon Jackson and Pat Sabatini. Jackson, the 34-year-old Texan, is 21-4-1 with one no contest overall. He is 4-2-1 with one no contest in the UFC, but it's worth noting that he had a run in the UFC uh, quite a long time ago, left, became a, you know arguably LFA's top fighter for a couple of years. He is 4-1 since rejoining the UFC. Uh, he came back to the UFC in September of 2020, so almost exactly two years ago. Uh, since then, he has beaten Mursad Bektic, lost to Ilya Tapuria, then beaten Charles Rosa, Camuela Kirk, and Dan Argetta. Most recent of those, the Argetta fight was at UFC Fight Night, Volkov versus Rosenstrike in June. He will try to make it four in a row against Sabatini. Uh, the 31-year-old Pennsylvanian is 17-3 and overall. He is a perfect 4-0 in the UFC since joining as an outgoing CFFC champion. He fought most recently in April at UFC Fight Night Luque versus Muhammad 2, where he took a unanimous decision over TJ Laramie. So he'll be looking to make it five uh, in a row in the UFC. Jackson will be looking to make it four in a row. Sabatini is a substantial favorite here. Uh, he is minus 225. Jackson plus 175 as the underdog. Keith, I'm going to throw this to you first for sure, but I see this almost as a mirror match. These guys have so okay. many things in common. Like, they're a little more exaggerated in some cases. Like, neither of these guys, I, I think, is a super standout athlete, but Jackson yeah. is, is definitely, like, Jackson's a minus athlete by UFC standards. Uh, you know, both of them outstanding opportunistic grapplers with, you know, sneaky good wrestling. Yeah. I, I mean, I kind of get why Sabatini's more than the two to one favorite. And then I kind of don't get it. You know, part yeah, of it could just be the win streak, the, sure. the Henzo Gracie Philly thing where nobody wants to be the first one, you know, to pick one of those guys from that gym to lose, you know, and Jackson is just kind of like, yeah. Yeah. But Jackson's just kind of this, you know, balding 34 year old guy who just <laughs> seems to always win, find a way to win, you know, even though he's not the better athlete. I he's mean, 34, but he looks like he's 54. Yeah. 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 The, the, the hairline is struggle for sure. Let's uh, get that Matt Little look there. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I mean, yeah. Yeah. It has a few things in common with Matt Lindland. I mean, I, I don't know his like political leanings, but the hairline is definitely in common. The, the, the athlete, apparent athleticism, you know, definitely in common. Yeah. With, uh, yeah just looking at David Jackson, I, like, he just looks like a Republican. I'm sorry. It's just yeah. like, He's, I mean, he's a Fortis guy, so he at least trains in Fort Worth. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Dude, honestly, is there more Fort Worth guy than that guy? Like, he looks like he should be. Yeah, he, he, he looks pretty Fort Worth. But, Fort Worth uh, is awesome, by the way. That's a great town. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. It was my favorite place in Texas. I'm sure I've only been to Dallas and Fort Worth, but whatever. Hey. <laughs> I, who, who you got in this one and how? Uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, as, as much as we joke about Jackson, like, he – Kind of similar to what we just talked about Hernandez. He's he's kind of the guy that I really just like. He's like he's your overachieving guy who just nothing jumps off to a page, and next thing you know, he wins. He beats guys he shouldn't beat. Like those are the guys I like. I like the guys that you you're like, man, I hate picking. I don't want to pick him because he should lose, but then they win. So 
He's a long and lengthy fighter who can keep his distance by throwing really long, rangy shots. He's got high volume. He throws hard kicks. Though he'll often throw naked leg kicks to leave him open to counters and keep his chin high in the air. And, like, there's nothing in his, like, boxing that, like, you're like, oh, that looks good. But he's a good D1 wrestler. He's got good timing on his reactionary double. I mean, he took down Charles Rosa six times in the fight. Uh, he was taken down by Mercedes Beckton seven times, and he, he made it worse by jumping guillotine. Like, he's not a good defensive wrestler, but he's got a good guillotine. He's got some really good underrated grappling. He's got some slick submissions, some slick back takes. Uh, he likes to kind of backpack fighters. He can get a submission, and, his, and the biggest reason that stands out to me is that cardio. He's got the cardio. He, the reason why he caught Bechtick on three days' notice in the third round is because he kept working, making him work, and, and overachieving. Now, as you mentioned, 17, another Henzo Gracie, Daniel Gracie, Philly guy. He, he's I, – I think – I think he's a little bit better athlete than you say. Like, I think he's just, I'd say he's a pretty solid athlete. He has that karate style on the feet where he has that wide base. Nothing special with the hands. So it's kind of similar to the Jackson, kind of just average. I like that he's intelligent, though. Like, he works the body. He's got a little bit of pop in his hands. Uh, but he has that karate style that he'll toss out some spinning attacks. Uh, he's, he's a really good wrestler, though. Good entries. Where he gets on top, smothering top control. Hard ground to pound. He has a submission threat. Uh, we talked about that slick heel hook he got on Jamal Emers. I hate to do this, but I'm going to go against Damon Jackson. While I think he's a good grappler, I don't. I don't think seven. Like I don't think seventeen submits him. I just think he's going to. I think it's going to look a lot like the Bechtick fight, where seventeen is getting takedowns. Jackson's jumping for guillotines when he should be jumping for. Uh, 17, he's kind of just not, not taking any chances, kind of working on top. But unlike Bechtick, I don't think Sabatini fades. Give me Sabatini. I'm, I'm back in Daniel Gracie's team once again. This, I'm going to say they finished tonight undefeated still. Sabatini by decision. Yeah, I'm I'm with you here. Uh, it pains me to, to pick against a guy who, stylistically, he's one of our guys. You know, he is definitely from that darren elkins mold that yeah i mean i i don't i don't think most fighters would want me to most guys would want me to call him this but to call him like a, a male roxanne modafferi is not an insult <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> um, uh, but yeah like he's unbelievably tough yeah Ilya Taporia ran him over but Ilya Taporia. Is, has been running just about everybody over and is going to yeah. continue to do so until he's fighting top five fighters. Yeah. And so Jax is going to be there the whole time, but his opportunistic and sometimes high risk submission game, I don't think is going to work on Sabatini. So I, I'm with you there. Like, even if he's the fresher guy in the third round, I think he's going to be down two rounds to one. And Sabatini's just not going to blunder into a guillotine. Yeah. Or be so tired that he just gives up his back and can't do anything as you know Jackson locks up a body triangle and starts to choke him like that like that's not going to happen to Sabatini and because of that I have Sabatini by decision in what should be a fight that's closer than the odds look on paper but where the the outcome of the fight actually isn't very much in doubt so yeah I, I'm, I'm with you in Tenzo Gracie Philly Daniel Gracie team staying undefeated on the night uh but, yeah, like Jackson's still standing at the end. Give me Sabatini by decision. Next up is a welterweight matchup between Trevin Giles and Lewis Cosey.
Giles, the 30-year-old Houston native, is 14-4 and overall. He is 5-4 and in the UFC. Uh, he's 0-1 since dropping from middleweight to welterweight. So he is on a two-fight losing streak. Uh, those coming against Drickus Duplessis last July. Then he dropped to 170 pounds, came back in January at UFC 270, and got knocked out late in the first round by Michael Morales. He will try to... Uh, avoid making it three in a row uh, against Kosi. The 27-year-old from Northern California is 7-1 and one overall. That's the good news. The bad news is that the one in that record was his last fight where he uh, faded badly against Sasha Palatnikov and got punched out in the third round. The other bad news is that that was almost two full years ago, and this is his first fight back. Uh, he was uh, out for a good amount of time, had a fight even this past April, uh, canceled when he tested positive for COVID. He is finally back, though, and he is not favored here. Uh, he is plus 170, Giles minus 200. I get why, why Giles is the favorite here. And, but even having said that, Giles always makes me nervous. And, I mean, this isn't like, I mean, I've, I've made my bias and my shameless homer tendencies a known thing while trying to tell you who I think will actually win fights. But this isn't just me saying, you know, yay, Fortis guys, you know, I think Fortis is a cool team. I mean, you know, Trevin Giles is in my town. Uh, I, I consider, you know, his head coach, Jeremy Mayen of War Training Center, formerly of Four Ounce Fight Club, like I consider him a pretty good friend. Uh, having said that, Trevin Giles' problem, no pun intended, I guess that is his nickname, it's a known thing. He is prone to just collapse and have a major lapse in fight IQ or a major blunder in any fight. I mean, he's five and four in the UFC and in all four of his losses, he was winning at some point. I mean, the Morales fight was really fast. You know, it was a four minute thing. It was a wild brawl and Morales knocked him out. But Drickus Duplessis, he won the first round. Gerald Mearshart, he probably won both the first two rounds. Zach Cummings, he won at least one of the first two rounds. In every fight, He's winning until he loses, and it's not even a predictable thing like, well, he just gets tired and then his opponent runs him over. He doesn't, get, he doesn't really get tired. He just makes an enormous mistake at some point in all of his fights. Uh, and most of the question just comes down to whether his opponent is good enough or aware enough to, to take advantage of it. Because otherwise, on paper, he should be one of the best guys in the division. At 185, he wasn't undersized, and he's a good athlete. At 170, he's huge. And if nothing else, in the Morales fight, he proved that, you know, he can make 170. He looked fine. He didn't seem drained. I mean, maybe it affected his chin. Maybe that's why Morales was able to knock him out. But it wasn't like he didn't look like death on on the scale. So physically, he looks like he can make 170. And he's a, I mean, he's a fighter with all the tools. He's a good boxer. He has power. And he, you know, and except for that one or two times a fight, he's usually pretty defensively sound. He's a good wrestler. He doesn't use it very often, but he's a good wrestler. He's surprisingly uh, capable of taking care of himself on the ground. He's a well-rounded athletic fighter, like plus athlete fighter, who, again, you can argue that he should have won every fight he's been in the UFC, and instead he's barely over 500. And that's a thing that at 30, I don't know if it gets fixed. It can be, like, because that, that would have been most of my scouting report on Charles Oliveira five years ago. Or, you know, Fabrizio Verdum ten years ago. But 
I understand why Giles is the favorite, and he's fortunate here in that there are even more question marks about Kosi. Uh, but if I were a betting man, I'd steer clear of this one just because you know that moment's going to come. Uh, Kosi, he was kind of exposed. I mean, he, he fought his way into the UFC through the Contender Series back in 2020, and all of his fights had been first-round knockouts. Or yeah. I think there'd been a couple submissions, but they'd all been steamrollings. Like they'd all been in the first round, and a lot of them have been twenty seconds, thirty seconds, <laughs> eight seconds. It, on the contender series, the same way. Yeah, his brother was the same way, and they both had that merging into traffic problem when they hit the UFC. I mean, he was such a better athlete than Sasha Polotnikov. I mean, it looked like. Yeah. Anyway, Kosi like like physically he is a plus athlete and yeah. he's not he's not quite as squat and bricked up as his brother orion kosi but he is a big welterweight yeah. but yeah he just he ran out of gas he ran out of ideas and Polatnikov came back and knocked him out in the third round even though kosi is probably more skilled almost everywhere and is definitely a better athlete the question is just whether those things have been fixed in the last almost two years because Age 25 to 27, that's certainly a period where a fighter can make strides, but considering he's had health problems in the interim and considering that his main problems weren't his skill set, but just, you know, again, his cardio, maybe like some front runner tendencies, we don't know. So there, there are even more questions hanging over him in this fight than there are over Giles, which is saying a lot. Uh, but I'm just not betting on... I'm not betting on Kosi's kind of cardiovascular and mental makeup having changed with these two uh, years off. So I do favor Giles here, and I favor Giles probably to get a stoppage in the second or third round. You know, I, I think he is a niftier striker with better reach than Kosi. So unless Kosi is able to, like, just bull him over for takedowns uh, early and often, I think Giles is going to kind of carve him up on the feet. Uh Biggest risk to Giles is going to be running into a Kosi Haymaker. You know, again, he's a defensively sound boxer, except when. Uh, but I'm not counting on Kosi being one of the people that's going to be able to take advantage of the Trevin Giles moment. So give me Giles by second round TKO. Uh, it's going to be, you know, a rough back to the drawing board moment for Kosi. But uh, Giles's decision to drop from 185 to 170 will be vindicated, at least for the time being. Yeah, you mentioned Lewis not as bricked up as Orion. I just I picture them going to the gym together, and and Lewis is like <laughs> he's doing pull ups, and then like he takes a break, and Orion jumps in. He's doing pull ups. Orion's doing the pull ups with the weights hanging off of him. Yeah. Like one of those <laughs> um, yeah uh, so how do we do this? Anybody who's ever watched these shows know who I'm taking. So how will we save some time? Listen, Trevor Giles is a police officer. So am I. I refuse to pick against a police officer. So give me Giles by, by decision. Uh, yeah, I mean, keep in mind the the Houston police officer whose coach is, is like my friend, pretty much yeah. the official fighter of the Philadelphia <laughs> show. There you go. Say some time. Yeah. Hit by decision. Next up, we have a lightweight matchup between Nicholas Mota and Cameron Van Camp. This is a fight that was originally set for a year ago, and it probably would have been better for these two guys if the fight had happened then, because at least one of them would have gotten a win. Uh, 
what happened was it was set for September of 2021. Van Camp got injured, so Mota went and fought Jim Miller, got conked. Uh, Van Camp, once he recovered, fought Andre Fialio at 170, got conked. Uh, so obviously the best possible thing to do is uh, make the fight that originally should have been made, uh, and here they are going to meet. Uh, Mota, the 29-year-old Brazilian, is 12-4 and overall. He is, as I mentioned, 0-1 in the UFC since joining as a former CFFC champ and a veteran of the fourth season of Dana White's Contender Series. Van Camp, 29-year-old from Indiana, is 15-6-1 with one no contest. He also, of course, is 0-1 in the UFC. All those things are equal. The odds are not. Mota, minus 235. Van Camp, plus 200 as the substantial underdog. Yeah, Keith is wow. making a face. And, and they really Mota just got, as what you say, what was the word you said? Conked? Got conked. <laughs> got conked by Jim Miller? He got conked by Jim Miller. At least Van Camp got conked by Andre Fialio, who's a weight class bigger and hits yeah. like a truck. Like, it's 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 never good to be like Jim Miller's, like, first clean knockout of his career. Wow. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like, I mean, Jim Miller's, like, 87 years old. Yeah. It's a young 87. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he quit smoking a few years ago. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Man, who, who you got in this one? I mean, I oh. can already hear you saying that nobody – in the UFC should be a two to one underdog to Nicholas Mota, but no, I mean, Mota's a, I mean, he, he came uh, from a good regional scene, which I definitely like. He, he's a good striker. He, he works behind a high guard. He's very Bob and weave style, stiff jab. He hits hard. Uh, he can be a little trigger shy at times, which I don't like, uh, but he rips the body, hard kicks, uh, nice high kick, strong Muay Thai clinch. Uh, he works the body with some hard knees inside the clinch. He's a weak offensive wrestler, and he's also a weak defensive wrestler. He he doesn't have a submission on his record. He does have a good get-up game, but I don't trust his chin. He's been knocked out a bunch of times. He's been knocked out three times in his career, including his last fight against Jim Miller. Now, uh, Van Camp, he's he's a big welterweight. I mean, he's massive. He he switches stance a lot, can fight out of both, uh, both sides. And worth mentioning, he's a big welterweight, and he's fighting at lightweight here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. That's yeah. yeah. That's what I was saying. He was he was big over Fialo, and now yeah. he's fighting. Yeah, smaller guy. Uh, he switches stances a lot. Uh, he he uses movement well. He uses a lot of feints to draw out attacks. He can crack too. I mean, yeah, he got conked by Fialo, but do you remember why? He just conked Fialo right before that. Like Fialo was hurt. He was going in for the kill, and Fialo caught him. It was like a little. It was like a cut from behind by Fialo. Uh, so. He's he's got some nice calf kicks. He's got a good deep kick. Uh, he hangs his hands a lot, which is really worse. And he keeps his chin really high in there, which is where you know he's a huge target to get to get cracked. And, and Moda's a guy who can crack a little bit. He's he's not a wrestler, but he is a good grappler. He's got nine submissions on his record. Uh, but I'm as you mentioned, I'm worried about his chin. The extra weight cut is is worrisome. Um, you mentioned Fialo. I mean, he he caught him because he was too aggressive uh, and, and left it open. And so. I liked Moto a lot heading into his last fight, but he looked terrible. Uh, he can still crack, though, and Van Camp has some serious defensive issues. But Van Camp is much bigger. He'll have a five-inch – he's five inches tall. I don't know how much – I don't know what the reach is, but I'm assuming probably around that same. Uh, he has the power. He probably has – you know, I don't know if he has power, but he has some power in his hands, too. But he should, he should have a big advantage when he gets to the ground. I want to go with another massive upset. I want to go with Van Camp. I'm going to say he gets a submission in the second round. Oh, man. 
once again, we are both going for a greater than two to one uh, underdog pulling off the upset. That's twice on this card. And again, for anyone who is a recent uh, arrival to the Shillin and Duffy show, we do not compare notes at all before we talk. Like we get on uh, the stream. We talk for about five minutes to make sure that we both have the most up-to-date lineup of fights. We don't like and each we, other. Yeah, like we don't. <laughs> like Ben's a dick. Uh, like he comes off like a really fun, nice guy. He's Ben's a dick. <laughs> <laughs> that that's what's gonna play over our intro. Like <laughs> that's right. it. Yeah, when we get John to do 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 the joke. Yeah. It's just me saying Ben's a dick. Yeah. <laughs> it's just I... saying, yeah, Keith Schiller, that'd be some little thing, and Ben Duffy, Ben's a dick. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, anybody who's listened to our listen to like that uncut episode we did where we just left the stream rolling in between knows that that's not true but yeah like we don't talk about the cards at all so it, it's always kind of when i'm up, gonna pick an upset i always wonder is keith gonna be on board for this one uh so i was happy that you were on for the gomez one and this one it's a lot the same dynamic i think it should be about a pick em. and my main concern with the underdog fighter is making weight because Van Camp was a welterweight for his whole career up until about three fights ago. He dropped to 155, you know, then uh, bounced right back up to 170 for his UFC debut because it was, uh, you know, the short notice thing against Fialio. And here he's going to be going back down to 155. Is he going to be able to make it and be in, you know, like be in good condition to perform? If he is, I do think he's a, a sneaky, like, upset tip here. Just because Moto looked terrible against Miller, because uh, Van Camp, even in his fights at 155 pounds, like, he looked good. None of them went that long that we could see his, like, gas tank. But I don't think I don't think we necessarily get there. I, I think uh, both these guys are going to land on each other on the feet. Like, neither of them is defensively all that sound. Uh but this thing's going to end up on the ground sometime in the first two rounds. And I think Van Camp has a substantial advantage there. He's much bigger and stronger. And he, again, you know, definitely the opportunistic grappler variety rather than like the, the lockdown conventional grappler. But, you know, like lots of his stuff works off the front headlock. And I can see him getting something like that on, on Mota and just maybe, you know, guillotining him, Bravo choke. I mean, he has one of those like 10 finger, like ninja choke things on his, on his record. Give me Van Camp by second round submission. Next up is another lightweight matchup as Trey Ogden welcomes Daniel Zellhuber to the UFC. Ogden, the 32-year-old Glory MMA and fitness product, is 15-5 overall. He is 0-2, or sorry, 0-1 in the UFC. Uh, he debuted back in April, uh, losing by a split decision to Jordan Levitt. That was at UFC on ESPN, Luke versus Muhammad 2. He will try to get his first octagon win against Zellhuber. The 23-year-old Mexican is a perfect 12-0 in his professional career. Uh, he came. He comes to the UFC through the fifth season of Dana White's Contender Series. He appeared last September, where he took a unanimous decision over Lucas Almeida. Uh, he is a substantial favorite here. He's minus 225, Ogden plus 190 on the comeback. Uh, Keith, it's a young prospect against a grizzled veteran. Uh, yeah. The grizzled veteran is a glory MMA guy. He's also a big underdog. Who you got in this one? 
Yeah, another one that I think the odds are way off. Um, I mean, we, we're taping this uh, a little early, so maybe these odds will change if people be like, what the hell are you guys talking about? I, I'll say this about Ogden. He, he, the last fight, he lost against Joe Levitt. I scored it for him. I thought he won. It was really close. Like It wasn't a robber or anything, but he's big for the weight class. Uh, that's really thing going for him. The, but it's really troublesome because he throws a lot of single strikes. He looks for his right hand a little too much. Uh, I like that he does attack the body. He throws a lot of a lot of kicks, but he doesn't check the leg kicks. Jordan Levitt kicked him like in the legs like two hundred times. He, he Jordan Levitt beat him with like weak kicks, like calf kicks that they weren't like blasting calf kicks, just volumed him with kicks. Uh he he again will look for takedowns, but not much setup. He kinda overextends on his entries. Uh, but he has good takedown defense. But when he was taken down, like he really struggled to get off the bottom against Jordan Levitt. He did show that he has good submission defense, and he has 11 submission wins on his own record. And honestly, he caught Levitt in the guillotine in that fight, and Levitt was probably saved by the bell. Um, it was a deep guillotine, but he gassed late against Jordan Levitt, uh, which is which is a little troublesome. Sally uh, uh, Huber, uh, I'm sorry if I'm saying his, his name wrong. He's only 23, so you know I love that. He's long and lengthy. He wants to work from distance. He uses fades to draw out attacks really well. Quick hands, nice snap on his shots. I like that he goes down to the body. He doesn't like being pressured, though, and he he avoids shots with shoulder rolls, which works effective to kind of deflect shots, but it never looks good to the judges because it kind of looks like it's landing a little bit, which which is not – I mean, think of, like, what Bobby Green does and, and uh, Jorge Mosbo did a little bit. It's, it just never really looks that good. Um, he brawls a little too much for, for my liking for a guy that has – uh, length on people that he should work for distance and he was hurt uh, on the contender series in a fight that he won fairly easily he has a lot of kicks in his arsenal hard calf kicks but he throws a lot of them naked he's open to be countered uh, great high kick though he gets up to really qu- good he landed a beautiful question mark kick on the contender series matchup strong Muay Thai clinch knees in the clinch he had a great throw in the contender series matchup good ground and pound he has two submission wins which is which is good to have um you know, so he's a little bit of a submission threat. And he uses Cardio's weapon. He was getting stronger and stronger in, in, in the fights that I've seen. I think this is a tough one because uh, this is a pretty good step up in competition for Zell Huber. Ogden has some raw skills on the feet, plus he's a submission threat. But give me the 23-year-old. He's at the age where he should be making big jumps of improvement at this age. He showed that he has a really great gas tank. I expect him to come on strong weight. Give me uh, Zell Huber by decision. Yeah, uh, you know, you and I have already come down on the side of two, two to one or greater underdogs, but this is one more. I, I don't see it. One, I'm I'm going to adapt one of the maxims that you have lived by for as long as we've been doing this show together, and I'm just going to say I'm going to have a hard time ever picking someone who got outstruck by Jordan Levitt. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. And, and he did. And if And if Jordan Levitt was able to kind of – stymie him and win rounds against him with his striking i think zell huber is going to be capable of, of lighting him up because he's just i mean he's not longer like they're both super like lanky guys but he's more technically sound he definitely hits harder uh and i'm glad you pointed out that toss on the contender series because that was my most memorable moment of the whole fight that's the one where as soon as i saw that i'm like oh i remember this fight 
just because you know it seemed so effortless and it was a perf- such a perfect reaction to the position they were in. I thought it was good awareness from such a young fighter. And then the clincher for me is that you know if I'm gonna pick a big upset, it either needs to be somebody that has a stunning finish potential, which isn't necessarily Ogden, or somebody that I definitely think is going to be the fresher fighter late. And, you know, and might ruin someone's day that way. But that isn't Ogden either. So I've got Zell Huber by decision here as well. And I think how he wins will determine how hard the hype machine is cranking, like, once this thing is over. Next up is a featherweight matchup between Andre Feely and Bill Aljo. Feely, the 32-year-old Californian, is 21-9 and with one no contest overall. He's 9-8 and eight with one no contest in the UFC. Uh, he is on a three-fight uh, winless streak, those being a unanimous decision loss to Bryce Mitchell last October, a no contest against Daniel Pineda uh, last June, and a fast knockout loss to Joe Anderson Brito at UFC on ESPN Font versus Vera this past April. Uh, some of that misfortune of his own making he was winning the Pineda fight handily before he landed a really really damaging inadvertent eye poke that stopped things and probably robbed him of a win uh but he is going to try to get a clean win here against Algio who steps in on short notice for Lando Venata the word is that Venata was injured but I think he secretly just arrived in Vegas a week early hoping he could get a rematch with Tony Ferguson Aljo, the 33-year-old Philadelphia native, is 16-6 overall. He is 3-2 since joining the UFC as a veteran of Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, He appeared on the third season. He lost via decision uh, to the British kid, Brendan Lochnane, the one that Dana said wasn't a killer, and so he's going to go make a million bucks in PFL uh, next month. Anyway, Aljo uh, is on a two-fight winning streak, those being a unanimous decision over the same Brito that knocked out Feely. And Herbert Burns, who uh, he won via retirement, and then Herbert Burns had an actual retirement right afterwards. And that was at UFC on ABC, Ortega versus Rodriguez back in July. Uh, Feely is the slight favorite here. He's minus 140, Aljo plus 110 as the slight underdog. Keith, what? I was thinking about Herbert Burns retiring. Like, this is exactly how you always pitch it. My last fight, get carried out of the cage by my brother's arms. But not not getting carried out on his own on his shoulders because I won. But getting carried out like a bride being carried across the threshold. Oh, it was sad. It was rough, dude. I, yeah. I feel bad for laughing at it because it's just such a bummer. <laughs> Look like look like Maureen's carrying kids running out of Saigon. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that was me once upon a time. Yeah. All right. Um, I don't really get the line here. I mean, it's not insanely out of whack, but like Feely has been on a rough run. Like he got starched by Brito. That, by the way, Algio beat recently. Uh, he looked. He looked pretty good against Mitchell, all things considered. Like, that's about as tough a fight as anyone has given Bryce Mitchell in the UFC. He clearly understood what he needed to do, and he tried to use his defensive wrestling to kind of stay out of the terrifying ground game of, of Mitchell. But, I, and like, the, the, 
the Mitchell fight is what makes me think he could probably like beat Aljo because I think I think he's a harder hitter than Aljo on on the feet, and I think he can probably keep it standing if he wants to. Just I still don't trust Andre Feely to make the right decisions throughout the entire course of a fight. It just and it's not it's not quite like the Trevin Giles thing where he comes in with the right game plan and then there's just one enormous brain cramp at some point, you know, and he finds himself in a guillotine or just comes in with his hands down and he just gets clocked. Just Feely just seems to come in with like weird ideas about what he needs to win a fight sometimes. Uh I think Aljo just kind of wins a a back and forth scrap. I think a lot of it will take place on the feet, but if Aljo wants to, to go to the ground, I think Feely will go there willingly. And I think Aljo's a better grappler and is at least going to be able to get to positions where he can do some damage, can like maybe even threaten with submissions and win rounds that way. So give me Aljo by decision in a slight upset in a fight where we're afterwards saying we wish we weren't putting Andre Feely on the cut list right now, but we are. You're muted. You're still mute. Yeah, sorry. Oh, oh. <laughs> um, yeah, I, this is one of the fights I have, I have a really hard time reading, and it simply just comes down to uh, Andre Feely. Just uh, the things that he does that are, it looks really good to me, and things that he does that um, looks really bad. Um, he can fight on both stances. He's he's a counter striker. He uses feints to draw attacks. Uh, pretty quick hands. You've got a popping jab. He can he can strike while backing up. Uh, he likes to uh, like a lot of fade back counters. Like slip a shot and then come back with one. Good high kick. He loves that like Robert Whitaker dipping to one side high kick. Uh, you mentioned he's got some decent power. I think he's an underrated wrestler. Um, I, he he needs to improve his top game. He isn't and he isn't much of a submission threat. And he really struggles to get if he's put on his back. Um, Bryce Mitchell took him down and helped him down. Um, but you got to worry about his chin. Um, he was knocked out quick in his last fight. Algio, is, he's this long and lengthy striker. He He's a controlled pressure striker. He, he fights a lot like Steven Thompson where he kind of keeps his hands low and kind of counters, but not just counters, but he counters from weird angles. Like they come from like his, all his punches come from like low by his hips. He attacks with good volume. He's got some nice combination. He adds kicks in his combination. He throws some really hard kicks. He loves to close the distance by like throwing like a flying knee. And he uses his size really well in the plum clinch where he batters with, with to the body and, and knees inside. He will look for some body lock uh, takedowns. Uh, he'll, he, I, I've had this in my notes for a while. I was doing contender search. He, he, he throws a lot of head and arm throws, which I hate. Uh, but he's a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Jiu black belt. He, if he's put on his back, he'll toss up a lot of submissions. If he doesn't get a submission, he uses a space well to get back to his feet, which I do like. But he's a weak defensive wrestler. I mean, he's been taken down 23 times in six UFC fights, which is which is really disturbing. Uh, and, and a lot of that is because he doesn't sprawl. He looks for Kamara's. He jumps on guillotines. But he did show some good submission defense against Herbert Burns, who's obviously a really high-decorated I, I disagree with you, man. Like, I, I see this fight. Like, we usually have a pretty good agreement on, on how we see the fights. This, this comes down to me. Um, 
what Andre Feely has left. The guy that like fought Dennis Bunis, now again, I, I'm going back years, but like the guy who fought Dennis Bunis easily outwrestles Aljo to a victory. I just, I'm not sure if that guy exists anymore. So, but I'm on the fence because I, you said that you think Aljo is a better grappler than Feely. I think he's better. I think he's making submissions for it, but I think Feely's a much better wrestler. Like I think Feely can easily just turn this into a wrestling match and win. And you said uh, you think Alge, uh, Feely has more power in the, on the feet. I actually think Aljo might have more power on the feet. So um, <sighs> this could be a really bad pick for Aljo if he started to a takedown dummy. But but on the feet, his volume, his long range attacks, I think it might be too much for Feely at this point. Give me uh, Aljo to overwhelm Feely with volume. Aljo by decision. So two picks for Aljo by decision, but we arrive there by completely uh, separate thought processes. Well, I, well, I, I just think <laughs> I, I think Philly's a better wrestler. I, just, I wonder if that's not there anymore. So I think I think at one point he was a better wrestler. I, I, I just don't know if it's there anymore. And, but and I, I I probably didn't you know like say it as well as I should have then because I think. Like, in terms of credentials, he absolutely is. Like, he was a junior college wrestler. He's been an effective wrestler. My question is, will he realize that and do it? Because I just yeah, don't I feel as though I, – I don't trust him to come in with the right game plan to win the fight for himself. It all started with that – he when he started doing that terrible movie that nobody watched. Oh, there have been a right. lot of terrible movies that nobody watched, but what was it? Like I, I don't know. know. Like, Uri Faber was, like, the producer, a director. Oh. So she, do you remember this? Like, Uri Faber no. was the director. Oh, yeah. Oh, this sounds terrible. Someone someone, someone, share this in, in, in the comments. Like, leave leave a link to the video. Ben, Please. It, like, Ben's punishment because it's wrong. <laughs> fight wrong. He has to watch the video. I'll, I'll, I'll watch it, and I'll post a reaction video on the Showdog <laughs> YouTube page. I, I didn't watch it. I just, I know, like, I know Uri Faber was involved in directing or something <laughs> this sounds terrible i can't wait we head to the women's bantamweight division next for a matchup between aspen ladd and sarah mcmahon ladd the 27 year old californian is nine and three overall she is four and three since joining the ufc as a standout in invicta fighting championships she is uh four and two as a bantamweight as she did have a one-off bout at Featherweight against Norma Dumont, which she lost. That was a headliner of UFC Fight Night 195 last October. She came back from that, faced Raquel Pennington at UFC 273 this April at Bantamweight and dropped a unanimous decision there as well. She will try to avoid the first three-fight losing streak of her career against McMahon. The former Bantamweight title challenger is 41 years old from South Carolina, 13 and six overall, seven and six in the UFC, and is coming off a win. She took a unanimous decision over Carl Hosa at UFC on ESPN Blades versus Dawkins back in March. Uh, that allowed her to bounce back from her uh, third round submission loss to Juliana Pena last January, which actually served as Pena's springboard to history, of course. Odds on this one, pretty close, but Ladd is a slight favorite. She is minus 125. McMahon out there at even money or even plus 105 a few places. Keith, uh, not a fight. I would have expected, you know, to see this far up a UFC card in late 2022, let alone with the kind of divisional implications it actually has. But here we are. And uh, the thing's happening. It was originally scheduled for August 13th. 
It got bumped, I believe, due to an injury to McMahon. I don't remember exactly, though. Uh, but now it's happening in September. Who you got? Yeah, this is a tough one. That's probably why the odds are so close. Um, they're both pretty, I don't know, pretty ho-hum kind of fighters at this point, Nick Perez. Uh, McMahon, she, she, on the feet, she, I'd say she's a boxer on the feet. I'd say she's She's a serviceable boxer at best. Um, she tends to fight behind a high guard defense. She doesn't throw any kicks. She has some pop in her feet on her fist. So that's kind of like what she's got going through her, but uh, there's not much there on the feet. She's an elite wrestler, but I've said this before, I'm going to say it again, that she won a civil medal Olympics. That was 18 years ago. Like, she's, she's not a world-class wrestler anymore. Uh, she can shoot from the outside. She can get takedowns from the inside, so she kind of has that thing going. She, she will get in the clinch, tie up, Double on the hooks and shoot, and shoot like inside trips. Um, she got some explosive entries. It's it's funny that I'm saying all this. I just want to say like, yeah, she's an elite level wrestler for the UFC, not on the wrestling scene anymore. So that's kind of what I meant. Um, if she gets a limb, she's so physically strong, and she knows like the perfect angles to kind of get the fight to the canvas. If she grabs a limb, smother and top control, hard ground and pound. Uh, we saw that in wins against Lena, like Lena Lansbury, even her last fight against Kyle Hosa, she shows some pretty good ground upon. But her submission defense is really bad. I mean, it's like the Achilles uh, the Achilles heel for her. Uh, Marion Renault submitted her, Kelly Vera submitted her, Gia Pena submitted her. Um, and she fades late, which is troublesome. And at 41, you don't expect to get better. Lad, Lad has not looked good since tearing her ACL. Now, maybe that's just facing some good competition on a return. Nova Dumont and Raquel Pennington, like, get thrown to the – those are get thrown to the wolves after being out for a long time. Maybe she just simply hasn't improved as she's kind of, you know, gotten older. Or maybe it's just her limited – like, her already limited athleticism has decreased when you take away, uh, you know, put a major injury on one of her legs. She's 27, so she's about in her prime years now. Like it's time for her to show what she's got, or if she is ever going to be what a lot of people expected her to be. And even the UFC, I mean, the UFC kind of kind of pushed her into main events fairly quick. Uh, she's she's a limited striker. She, she's pretty flat footed on the feet. She's not a good athlete. Uh, she's a little slow. She lacks head movement. She does have some raw power though, uh, which I do like. She does keep everything tight and inside, she, which is good. So like she doesn't create many openings to get countered because of that. Uh, but she, she, I don't know, like, she likes to close distance and she'll want to battle on the clinch, which is good. She's, she's good in the clinch. She's a bit of a grinder. She's got some good top game, good, good top pressure if she gets down, and some of the best ground and pound in the game. Um, and like we said it before, she has like this crazy ex-girlfriend ground up how I'm going if she's on top. But she's she's not a good wrestler. Like she's I think her wrestling is really overrated. So this is a huge matchup for each. I mean McMahon's window to be a title challenger, I mean it's it's basically now or never. Like she's she can't like McMahon can't afford a loss to the rest of her career if she ever wants to be a UFC champion. Like is she gonna be a UFC champion? Highly unlikely, but she could have this could be her glove to share moment. Lad has time, but this is a winnable fight for her. If if McMahon was ten years younger, I would pick her with some confidence. I just don't trust her fight IQ and her physical tools anymore, and her cardio. And like, there's a lot of things I don't trust a forty year, forty one year old who, like, I thought was retired <laughs> like two years ago. Yeah. Um, and 
I'm worried about her ability to control Lad, and I'm worried about her like getting up early and then fading late and having Lad come back on, which we've seen Lad do in the past. Now, however, like strictly looking at X and O's, like taking all the intangibles out, which you can't, but just strictly taking on X and O's, I think Man might be just as good of a striker as Lad is, and I think she might be just as strong as Lad is, and she's the better technical wrestler, so. Plus, you add in the, the terrible weight cuts that Lad has had to do to make the weight class. I mean, she she would drain herself and would not, not even make the weight at all. I hate that. I'm going to go with the slight upset again. Give me, and I know this is one of the fights I just said, no, I'm picking wrong, but give me McMahon to put Lad on her back you know, three times and win that decision. Man, I feel exactly what you're laying down here. Just. I mean, McMahon never quite, I mean, she never quite met the heights that we hoped she would. Like, when this division was initiated into the UFC with the absorption of Strike Force back in, you know, 2012, 2013, the, the collision course seemed to be, I can't wait until McMahon and Rousey fight. You know, yeah, the bronze medal Judica versus the silver medal wrestler, yeah. like the the explosive plus athlete versus the woman with the most terrifying guns in the, you know, the, the yeah. division. And when they finally met, you can argue that the stoppage was premature, but basically Ronda Rousey wrecked her with one knee to the midsection. Uh, it looked like, like, like uh, Cejudo against DJ one. Yeah. And the, and yeah the, the wrestler was pushed too quick. Mm -hmm. Oh, it, it, it has been, but unlike Cejudo, McMahon since then hasn't been able to string together yeah. enough wins to get back into the title picture because her submission defense has never gotten better. Yeah. Like she's almost like, like a hammer house throwback. Yes. Like, how have you been training this for 10 years? And like <laughs> your, your submission defense is still so yeah. bad. Um, Lad at this point is a bust. That, yeah, I mean, that, I that's it. Like she went yeah. from, the future of the division to yeah. just another woman in the division to kind of in danger of of washing out i mean yeah. she's lucky that one of her two losses in a row here was at featherweight because yeah like you pointed out she's not looked the same since her acl tear in in 2020 and some fighters never are never the yeah. same after that but all that did is it, it may have taken the edge off of athleticism that was always a little overrated. Like, she's incredibly strong, yeah. but as just a straight fast twitch athlete, she isn't Macy Barber nope. or Aaron Blansfield or Miranda Maverick. Like, she's she's like big and strong and powerful, but yeah, like it never ran off. She's like a lesser athletic Raquel Pennington. Yeah. And honestly, with if Raquel Pennington had horror boxing yeah and it's not actually it's not really a good comparison it's no, like well, a flat footed. raquel pennington's but i mean to me raquel pennington's defining positive trait is just endless guts like she's yeah, just yeah, so tough yeah and i've not seen that from lad either like no. lad so far in her ufc run and again as you point out like i usually cushion the negative things i say about fighters but in her ufc run so far her most notable traits are looking like she's going to faint on the scale, actually fainting on the scale, <laughs> and 
such a weirdly flat performance against Dumont oh, that terrible. her coach was the subject of controversy for like a week afterwards just because he was trying to like yell at her. Yeah, talk some <laughs> like some life into her. I I think the onus is on Lad here to prove she has anything left to offer this division. And if she does, McMahon's actually the perfect opponent to oh, show it absolutely. against. You know, because if I mean she can out wrestle Sarah McMahon if she can do that just because McMahon is that depleted, just because yeah. Lad is, is that well recovered, that's something she can stick in her cap. Like she probably hits harder than McMahon. If things go to the ground, I mean she again, she's not Aaron Blanchfield, but she's a good I mean she's a good enough grappler. She has punishing ground and pound, which I mean sets up yeah. submissions obviously. Like when you're beating the crap out of somebody and they turn their back, well you know, the next right there for you. McMahon yeah. has certainly given that to people. If she puts McMahon on her back, McMahon's in trouble. Yes. Uh, I mean, I, I understand why you pick McMahon here because neither of these fighters inspire much confidence at this point in their careers. But I think there is a chance that Ladd has gotten better since the last time we saw her, whereas I, I don't see any reason why McMahon would be better since the last time. So unless <laughs> yeah. I reserve the right to change this pick if Ladd blows weight, or like collapses on the scale because again this is someone who before she blew out her knee the csac told her you can't fight a bantamweight in california anymore yeah because you walked into the cage at like 154 pounds or whatever the freak it was uh but give me lad and when i say lad gets a second round finish it's not because i think lad is that much better than mcmahon but just because if she's winning i think it's going to be over quick whereas if mcmahon's winning we're going the whole 15 minutes so give me Lad. I'm going to say second round TKO on the ground, but a submission wouldn't surprise me either. I think it's going to be one of those choose your poison moments where she ends up on top and it's up to McMahon how she wants this thing to end. I've, I, sometimes I wish that the UFC would promote like like uh, the old gimmicks of like the 1980s wrestling. Like if I was if if I had Sarah McMahon, I would just like have her wear a headband all the time and like remember that like what was that thing the bodybuilders like stretch. You know what I'm talking yeah, about? The, like, the, the, three, the thing with the three springs that you go like this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Like she should just walk around with one of those yeah. all the time. Oh, and she should be able to, to <laughs> fight with like this, the ribbons tied around her biceps like the Ultimate Warrior to like <laughs> yes. make her veins stick out. Yeah. I mean, either, either the stretch thing or the, uh, or the ones that they do with the forearms, they squeeze the little weight thing together. Yeah. <laughs> like that's it. Like they should just have those all the time. Kind of like on that Hulk Hogan Saturday morning cartoon where like, yeah, yeah he always exactly. had one of those things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm for that. I mean, I always make an extra double special effort, like not to say creepy things on the Sheldon Duffy show, but McMahon with those arms. The UFC Fight Night 210 main card powers on with a heavyweight matchup between Tanner Bozer and Rodrigo Nascimento. Bozer, the 31-year-old Canadian, is 28-1 and overall. He's 4-3 and in the UFC. He did win his last time out. It was a second round knockout of Ovin St. Prue at UFC Fight Night Gone versus Volkov all the way back last June. That allowed him to put the brakes on the first back-to-back uh, -back losses of his UFC career, those coming against Andre Arlovsky and Elir Latifi. Uh, he'll try to make it two wins in a row against Nascimento, the 29-year-old Brazilian who goes by Yogi Bear, and I fully support this nickname. <laughs> is eight and one with one no contest overall he is one and one with one no contest since joining the ufc 
out of the third season of Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, he has a win over Dante Mays, a loss to Chris Dawkins, and a win over Alan Baudot last July that was overturned when he tested positive for a banned stimulant. Specifically, he tested uh, positive for methylphenidate, also known as Ritalin. Uh, I don't blame him for needing that to stay awake for an Alan Badeau fight, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, he is the moderate underdog here. He's plus 175, Bozer minus 220, and Kind of like the Nicholas Moto versus Cameron Van Camp fight, this is one that's been kicked down the road for a long time. This one was originally booked for April 23rd. Uh, Nascimento dropped out of the fight with an injury, so they brought in Alexander Romanov to face Bozer, which that's not fair. Uh, Bozer ended up dropping out, uh, and Chase Sherman came in, and we ended up with Romanov fighting Chase Sherman on short notice. Uh, that whole fight ended up getting pushed back a week, but they ended up making Bozer versus Nascimento anyway. So here it is, you know, yeah. five months later. Uh, Keith, I guess <laughs> I'm, what do I what I want to know is uh, who the is Sandra since the best way since Guns N' Roses Chinese Democracy oh, DVD came out. We waited fifteen years for we we waited fifteen years for this. <laughs> This album it. is terrible. I actually kind of liked it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, worth the wait. Well, the, the Chinese democracy of, of heavyweight fights, much like, you know, we asked ourselves, is this Guns N' Roses? Like, this has got, like, Buckethead, and it's got a guy from Nine Inch on it. It's got, <laughs> you know. Oh, God. Now, uh, is, 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 is Tana Boza the, the face underneath Buckethead? <laughs> yes. It, is I mean, oh. who is who is Tanner Bozer? Because oh. two I mean, years that ago, was pretty good. I that was pretty good. <laughs> two years ago, uh, he was right in there with the, you know, Chris Dawkins, Zareel Gan, uh, just Alexander Romanov, kind of up and coming class. He, yeah, why? He was. I mean, he he'd given Gan a pretty decent fight. He yeah. had been physically transforming from fight to fight. Like he he yeah. lost like thirty pounds. Yeah. And he turned into a I mean, he knocked out Felipe Lenz and Rafael Pessoa. Neither of those wins has aged super well, but how he looked in those wins like was promising. Yeah. All of a sudden he was he was light on his feet. He was faster than all these guys. He was throwing volume with surprising power. Uh Linz wasn't able to get him down. Like he looked Yeah. Like then that guy ran into Andre Arlovsky, and Andre Arlovsky oh. ruins everything. Because, yeah. like, fuck? he turns every fight into an Andre Arlovsky fight, and sometimes those guys get Andre Arlovsky hangover, and their next couple fights continue to be Andre Arlovsky fights. It's like they get Arlovsky PTSD, and they're like, no, if, if I throw more than eight strikes around, I'm going to get tired or something bad is going to happen. Yeah. So his fight against Ilir Latifi was the same. It was awful. And he beat Ovin St. Prue, but Ovin St. Prue is just oh. terrible at heavyweight. Like it's like yeah. I didn't learn anything he's been, from he's that. He's been pretty bad at light heavyweight for a while too now. He's just yeah. done, he's just done. And and so all Bozer really get, got from that was to keep his job. If he has anything to prove, if he's still a factor, and at thirty one he is still a baby by heavyweight standards. Like at thirty one, you can argue he hasn't reached his peak, even physically, and if he has reached his peak, he could probably do it for another ten years. So He's got the room to prove it. Just the question is, you know, how is he going to do against someone in uh, Nascimento that 
I think, you know, I think he's more athletic than Bozer. Like Bozer yeah, ended up being kind of surprisingly light on his feet, surprisingly fast hands, surprisingly good gas tank. Nascimento is a plus athlete for for heavyweights. Uh, he is a persistent takedown artist, and he is a nasty grappler once they get there. So this feels like kind of a two true outcomes fight to me because if Bozer gets what he wants, he's gonna keep this thing standing and sting Nascimento all night. And you'll know it was a Tanner Bozer fight if at the end, Bozer's kind of like breathing a little heavy, but Nascimento is like bruised and busted up around the face from like eating Bozer's jab all night. If Nascimento gets what he wants, I think he taps Bozer out in, in the first round and a half. That's yeah. kind of... That's I'm, exactly how I see it. Or, or lands I, a big haymaker. Yeah, yeah, or, or lands a big haymaker, which is it's interesting because that's clearly for him a means to kind of close distance, make his opponent like flinch and set him up for a body lock, you know, or at least to clinch and run him to the fence and take him down that way. But he ends up knocking people out almost by accident, just by landing it on him because he hits hard. Uh, it's another slight upset, but again, it's been two years since I've seen anything from Tanner Bowser that really, really impressed me. And I mean, that that's ages ago to, to me. Uh, Nascimento's, he got blasted by Chris Dawkins, but Bozer doesn't have that power. Or speed. Or Yeah, or speed. Like, Bozer's kind of quick. He looks Dawkins like he should, uh, of yeah. the two. Of the two, he looks like he should be faster, but he's not. Yeah. But, yeah, Dawkins has some of the faster hands in, in the division. And, you know, again, for, like, Bodo is, is, a, is not good, but Nascimento whooped him. Uh, I think he has all the momentum here. And, again, it, it's kind of on Bozer to prove that he is the guy he was two years ago, you know, that he is, he's at least the use your illusion one and two version. If oh. not like, you know, if not appetite, for like destruction, but the, oh, no. oh, oh, I mean, oh. he, he's definitely not appetite for destruction. Yeah. That's like, know? yeah, that's like your friends say, God, come on, man. That's, yeah. that's an all timer. <laughs> that's an all timer. <laughs> uh, but yeah, give me that. Just side note. Use your illusion one and two was pretty dope too. No, they, they, they were. They Guns N' Roses is my favorite all-time band, so that's why. That's why I, I said I like the uh, Chinese democracy one. They were great, but I don't like Chinese democracy, and I don't like Tanner Rose okay. in this fight. G give me okay. Nasty Mantle by second round submission. Yeah, um, I would do this. So I, there's 15 fights. There's only so much time a week. Sometimes this is what I do. I kind of write down all the fights I, in a row. I kind of start with which one am I most interested in. I kind of go after that one. Usually guys who are making their debuts, I try to do those for someone. And then I kind of work my way. This was dead last time I lost to do a tape study. So it's the one I didn't get to. I didn't do a single second of tape study. One guy has a power advantage. One guy has a grappling advantage. Tanner Bosa has the jab and move advantage. Like... Give me the guy that has two options to win. So I'm with you, man. I'm going to take the upset. So I'll do. I'll, I'll just do this prediction, kind of like the 10,000 other previews out there. Just do it real quick. I'll get this guy. I think he's hits harder and he's a better grappler. So give me. I'm, I'll go with the upset with you. Awesome. How does he get it done? Um. What, what did you say first? I said second round submission. I'll say it doesn't. Have, I'll say decision. Okay. As he holds on, I see he wins the first two rounds, fades late, and holds on. 
Third from the top at UFC Vegas 60, at least as the card is currently set up, is a middleweight matchup between Chidi Njokawani and Gregory Rodriguez. Njokawani, the 33-year-old American of Nigerian uh, descent by way of Vegas, is 22-7 and with one no contest overall. He is 2-0 and since joining the UFC out of the fifth season of Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, on the Contender Series, he knocked out Mario Felipe de Souza in the third round. And since then, he has put in about uh, five minutes of total work. He knocked out Marc-Andre Berrio in 16 seconds in his UFC debut uh, in February, came back in May, and knocked out Dusko Todorovic it, late in the first round with a brutal elbow. He's going to try to keep the good vibes going against Rodriguez. The 30-year-old Brazilian with the 48-year-old face is 12-4 and four overall. He is 3-1 uh, and one since joining the UFC out of the fourth season of Dana White's Contender Series. He actually lost on the Contender Series, got knocked out by Jordan Williams. Uh, so we went to LFA, won a couple fights. But since joining the UFC, again, 3-1, and one, he's beaten Dusko Todorovic, beaten Junyong Park. Uh, dropped a split decision to Armin Petrosian. Uh, that was back in February, then bounced back from that in June, knocking out Julian Marquez in the first round at UFC on ESPN Cater versus Emmett. This one is one of the closer fights on the books. Rodriguez minus 120, Enjo Kwani available at even money plus 100 as the very slight underdog. Keith, this on some level is a classic style matchup. I mean, Enjo Kwani. Yeah. A striker, and not just an MMA striker, but a guy with like dozens and dozens of Muay Thai, you know, fights on his record. Versus Rodriguez, who, I mean, obviously he will strike, but you know, talks about himself a, a, as a grappler, and certainly that's where his original credentials are. Uh, how does this play out, and who wins? Yeah, this is a an intriguing fight. That if you totally picked two years ago, I'd have said Rodriguez smokes him. <laughs> um, I love this late career surge. I mean, he's not that old, but I mean, like nobody was a expecting Chidi and Drakwani to kind of make this kind of run in the UFC years ago when he was in Bellator. Uh, no. <laughs> even the I mean, UFC... Just he brought, real yeah. quick, like, we, we've talked about people like Chris Curtis. I was more surprised when Njokawani got to the yeah. UFC than when Chris Curtis did because I never expected Njokawani to get called by Dana White's Contender Series. I mean, he was, like, 32 years old and yeah. had, like, 30 career fights. Was yeah. Six, yeah, like yeah, I mean, Andre Filo is, is a guy that kind of had a nice run in the UFC too. That like what's kind of expected, but he was like younger. Like yeah. nobody, like even though the UFC broadcast makes it seem like uh, MMA fans been calling for Chidi to make his UFC debut, like we were calling for Fedor to come to the UFC. You know, <laughs> um, he's a he's a long and lengthy fighter. He's got like eighty inch reach, and he's become this. He's always a good striker, but he become this like deadly striker in the UFC. I love that he started like adding inside elbows to his game. He's he's very poised. I love that he switches stances in mid attack. Uh, he used to have a little low output in Bellator, but that is not the case since he comes to UFC. He comes out aggressive, throwing big power shots. He's got a, I don't want to say elite power, but he's got like big power. Uh, I like that he gets to the clinch, uses his size in there. He's an underrated grappler. I mean, he's a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. He outgrappled Mario Souza in the Dana White Contender Series. He almost caught Dusko Chodorovic and Anaconda in his last fight. He's a weak defensive wrestler, but he showed his ability against Chodorovic to get back up to his feet. And he showed some really ground and pound in his fight against Mario Souza. Now, 
Rodriguez, we, we talk about guys being big. I mean, he's a middleweight. looks like a heavyweight. <laughs> he's huge. Uh, and he's pretty well-rounded. He's extremely aggressive uh, on the feet. He fights like he's shot out of cannon. Like, he comes out throwing big bombs in both of his hands. He likes to slide to the pocket and load some big looping power shots. Um, but he's been tagged and hurt a few times so far in the UFC. You mentioned his grappling, though. He's a really good grappler. He gets in the clinch and pummels, gets in underhooks, good throws and trips inside. He can shoot some solid entries, though sometimes he does duck his head a little bit. Um, and he kind of reaches. He's asking the uppercut, asking to get need. But if he gets your legs, he's so physically strong that he's going to pick you up. He's going to slam you up. Mean ground a pound. He's a legit submission threat. But the one thing I don't like, he loses position chasing submissions, which is which is troublesome. And because he throws everything powerful, he tends to fade a little late. So this, to me, really comes down to how Rodriguez fights. If he closes the distance and outmuscles Chidi, he can win like in a grueling affair that eventually finds a submission or just kind of wins a a fight. I could also see him like getting ahead and fading late and trying to like hold on. Like I, I wouldn't be shocked if we got a draw where he, he wins the first two rounds and Chidi comes out and gets like a 10 8 round of third. But if he stands and he throws wild shots with Chidi, yeah, he could catch Chidi, but there's also a good chance he gets starched. And the other thing is if he fades late, I can see Chidi put him away, especially if he's like overextended on takedowns, he eats a knee or an uppercut. And Actually, I think that's what's going to happen. I think Chidi's going to catch him. So I, I'm shocked that I was picking this fight like years ago that I would pick Chidi by a knockout, but I'm going to take Chidi to win by second round to go. There are some of these shows where we pick almost identically all the way through. There are others where, you know, one of us picks a ton of upsets and the other doesn't. Here, we are, we're seeing a lot of the same upsets. And, uh, I, it's my fourth I, upset in a row I picked. <laughs> I picked six of them. It's four in a row. Uh, I agree with everything you said about Njokawani. Like, he was a frustrating fighter in Bellator, and I think a lot of that is to do with the fact that he may have been killing himself to make welterweight. Yeah. Like, I mean, he's 6'3 and not skinny. Like, <laughs> if, 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 you're, if you're cutting that kind of weight, you know, that can, that can sap your output just because you're concerned about your gas tank. Uh, and then, you know, kind of when he hit his ceiling in their middleweight division, it was against people like John Salter and Rafael Carvalho, where he knew that they wanted to get him onto the ground. And I think that may have blunted some of his output as well. But yeah, he went from a frustrating borderline contender, almost ran or almost contender also ran in, you know, uh, Bellator to he's got a ways to go. But he's looked pretty promising so far in, in the UFC. And I see the dynamic here against Rodriguez the, the same way you do. If Rodriguez is able to get inside, physically bully him. Like, and Jokowani has great uh, technique in the clinch. And as you pointed out, he's added some inside elbows that uh, have served him well. They certainly did against uh, Todorovic. But generally speaking, if Rodriguez can force the fight at that range, I think that's that's in his like that's to his advantage and certainly if it goes to the ground it's to Rodriguez's advantage and Jokwani's ground game is underrated but Rodriguez is I think at a different level there but Rodriguez's aggression his defensive lapses on the feet are all tailor-made for Jokwani to hurt him bad uh and like you I'm I'm picking that to happen uh you picked second round 
that's actually where I was going, and I'm not going to be different just for the sake of being different. I, I've got Njokawani by second round KO as well, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if Rodriguez wins the first round. But, you know, you start the second round fresh. Yeah. Only Njokawani's a little more fresh, and you're on yeah. the feet. Rodriguez comes wading forward again, and Njokawani just either times a level change and catches him with a knee, or he catches him with his chin way in the air, you know, overswinging on something, and just plunks him. Uh, so, yeah, give me Njokawani by second round knockout as well. That brings us to the main event of UFC Fight Night 210, a bantamweight matchup between Corey Sandhagen and Song Yudong. Sandhagen, the 30-year-old Coloradan, is 14-4 and overall. He is 7-3 and in the UFC. He is on a two-fight losing streak, though in his defense, uh, those have come against TJ Dillashaw and Piotr Jan, and both of them were pretty competitive. Uh, he lost a split decision to Dillashaw in Dillashaw's return fight last July. That was the headliner of UFC on ESPN 27. He came back last October and faced Jan for the interim Bantamweight title, dropping a unanimous decision. That was at UFC 267. He will try to avoid having it be three in a row and trying to keep himself in the title conversation against the surging uh, Yadong. The 24-year-old from China is 19-6-1 with one no contest overall. He is 8-1-1 in the UFC. He is on a three-fight win streak, those uh, being a unanimous decision over Casey Kenny last August, a second-round knockout of Julio Arce last November, and most recently, a two-minute blitzing of Marlon Moraes at UFC Fight Night Santos versus Ankalaev this March. Odds are surprisingly, well, I can't say surprisingly, they're surprisingly wide to me. Uh, Sanhagen, despite the losing streak, is minus 210. Song, despite the win streak, is plus 170, perhaps reflecting that this is a step up uh, in competition for one of them and a step down for the other. Uh, nonetheless, fantastic main event of the kind we never would have got during the Joe Silva era of UFC matchmaking when winners fought winners and losers fought losers. Uh, but here it's a chance for a longtime fringe contender to take a serious step up the ladder. It is a chance for a an existing contender to stay atop the ladder. Keith, how does this fight play out? Who wins? And yeah, and... If you got any insights on on what it means for them in the division, like feel free to share those. But let me know yeah. how, how you think the fight goes. Yeah. So as far as the odds, like the odds don't affect me how I make my pick at all. Like I think sure. we both proved tonight we were willing to take <laughs> big upsets. I was thinking like how I would expect the odds. I would expect the um, San Hagen like negative one forty. I mean, he's the bigger name. He's faced the bigger guys. Like, so what negative one forty would be about what I'd expect. Be that the bigger name and like plus one twenty five or something like that for for Yadong. Uh, as far as relevance to the division, they were grooming San Hagen to be a star. I mean, he's the guy that fought Dillashaw and Dillashaw's return. Um, you know, he's getting sorry. My my dog is really grabbing my microphone. Sorry. Um, you know, he's he's like a good-looking guy. He's charismatic. He, he's he's fun to watch. So there's, yeah, there's his a lot of fights are exciting. His fights are exciting. So and 
Yidong obviously has that that Asian market, specifically China market, that they've been trying to get in forever. You know, not get in, but the, you know what I'm saying? Like really yeah. trying to have a, it, they want a, a Yao Ming type. Like they want that international star from China. Uh, so it, it has relevance in that there's so many guys in the division that it's going to be a while to get a title shot. And if you lose, and I kind of like referred to this in the beginning, like if you lose now, you're kind of going way back. And Yadong, if he wins, he has a strong argument to kind of not only obviously leapfrog Sanhagen, but leapfrog a couple other guys, particularly Marlon Vera. You can say, yeah, that's cool. Marlon Vera's on his nice position. I beat Marlon Vera. Yeah, a lot of people think Marlon Vera won, regardless. It wasn't a robbery either way. It was a very close fight. No, so if, like, if any, like, if I discount that for anything, it's that it was at 145. But either way, yeah, he was the better fighter that night. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, it was really close. Yeah, that's a good point. So that's that's that is the that's the argument in the ranking sense. But the whole point is like he he would have a win over Vera. He'd have a win over Sanhagen. He has the China thing. We saw Weili Zhang when she first got her title shot, kind of fast tracked up up the rankings. If he's if he wins a close decision, it's a back and forth. He's picking him apart from the outside. No, but if he like starches Sanhagen. Well, puts on like a 50 45 performance, he could be on the fast track. He could be the guy surprising, like, oh wow, uh, Henry Cejudo's waiting. Oh wow, you know, he's fighting Sterling or, or Dillashaw. Uh, San Hagen is just simply just a yeah, he he you could argue that he could have won the um uh Dillashaw fight, he had moments in the Petrion fight, but eventually, you have to get jam raced. You got to do something to show that you win. So, um, yeah, I, and it's just a fantastic stylistic matchup, in my opinion, the best division in, in the UFC right now, and, and possibly all of MMA. So, uh, as far as who's going to win, man, uh, Sam Hagen is he's long and lengthy, and he he's so fluid. He's one of the most fluid guys in, in the UFC. He's got incredible movement. He can switch stances and, and just and he's just as effective from the southpaw as he is. For the orthodox, he uses feints. But what I like about him, what I've talked about a lot of guys, a lot of guys on the undercard does a lot of things that Sanhagen does well. But he like groups these things together. Like a lot of things I said about other guys, he has them all. But I like that he uh, he he uses feints to keep you guessing. But then he just touches. He doesn't waste energy. He he touches. He throws at like eighty percent or seventy percent. Uh, power and then when an opening comes that's when he's blasting uh the openings i like that he goes to the body i like that he throws these knees like he understands his length he understands how easy it is for a tall guy to use his knees uh, kicks when he's working with the outside great great kicks good calf kicks and i think he has like very he has that tall man's power where he's he can hurt a lot of guys i mean he's starch guys he's a he's a he's a solid wrestler um some of the so much variety in his game that, that stands out to me, whether it's going to the body, whether it's doing a flying knee, whether it's like a bouncing in and out and a che- then a check hook and then working behind a jab and then kicking from range and then it's now getting inside and, and looking for an elbow or, or going for a takedown. He's a solid wrestler, some really good scrambles. If you – good get-up games, he's really hard to hold down. He showed that against like Dillashaw um, and then – Again, just just the way he just kind of keeps you guessing. 
you know, flying knee knockout against Frankie Edgar, a spinning wheel kick against Marlon Rice. The Adalang is, he's, he's really, really um, a well-rounded fighter. Um, coming, he's, he's a guy who's really coming into his, his power. Uh, he's a poise striker, high output, very technically sound. Uh, he, th- he throws accurate straight shots, not a lot of tells, really good snap. Looks so good in his recent fights. Uh, as I mentioned, nice jab, fouls with uh, good power shots. I like that he goes to the body uh, and he attacks with combinations. Um, fa- kicks are good. Fast kicks, calf kicks. I like that he can sneak in a takedown. Um, we talk about the Marlon Verify. He, he shows intelligence by winning close rounds by getting takedowns. Uh, he's... Uh, a good overall grappler. He's got three submission wins, and he's hard to hold down. If you take him down, uh, he's got a good ghetto game. And what I love, like the, it is a big step up in competition for him. Um, but as he's taking steps up, like his cardio just looks better. Like his cardio helped him win against uh, against Casey Kenny, and then really did against Marlon Vera. He didn't slow down at all in his fight against Marlon Vera. So, as a prediction goes. I actually think Yadong is a more technically sound fighter. If like I would not be surprised if Yadong's speed and power is just too much for for Sanhagen. But Sanhagen's strategy, I mean, it's it's gotta be to stick and move, never be a stationary target, never stay directly in front of of Yadong. Um, kind of keep him guessing, keep attacking with different things, sneak in a takedown, even if you can't hold it down, just to kind of win rounds, um, and, and and just try to use a lot of kicking game from the outside. But I, regardless, I think it's going to be a war. I think both guys are going to have moments. I think it's going to be one of these fights that you know one guy wins, but you, like the stock of the loser doesn't really fall, uh, especially if you're down as a loser. I say San Hagen wins a really, really close decision. Um, one of these ones where we might be headed into the last round saying, oh, man, who's going to win this round? But overall, um, San Hagen, he's fought the better guys. He's been in the bigger fights. He's gone 25 minutes. He showed that he has a cardio to go that hard. Uh, I'll go with San Hagen by decision. Yeah, I I feel everything you're putting down there, and I, I I would say that if Song wins, that that does hurt Sanhagen more than than the the opposite does. Simply because right now Sanhagen can say, "Yeah, I've lost three fights out of my last five or six, but they've been against what might literally be the top three guys in the division: Aljamain Sterling, Piotr Jan, T.J. Dillashaw. That's it." And I was competitive against uh, Jan and Dillashaw. If he loses to Song, then it is that step where, okay, I am, I mean, I'm not thrust back in, into gen pop, but I'm just another top 10 guy. I mean, it's, it's almost the thing that happened to Frankie Edgar, where he kept on losing, but you you could say, well, he's only lost to the top two guys. Well, now he's only lost to like three of the top five. Now he's only lost to four of the top seven. And before you know it, like Edgar's lost four or five fights. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I, I'm, I'm not saying San Hagen's. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so San Hagen could use a win here. It, it would really establish that okay, this is not a changing of the guard yet. I got to regroup. But you know, if T.J. Dillashaw is your champ a year from now, no one's that shocked, and I have a pretty good case. You know, for yeah. a, a shot against him if I can string together some wins. If Song wins, I think it looks a little like Jan's win over over Sandhagen. 
like that's the I think the general plan he's gonna need to follow. Like, yeah. make sure that the boxing is at his range. Uh, use wrestling. Don't lean on it in every round, but use it judiciously throughout to win you parts of rounds and to kind of set you up to be able to get into your preferred range. When Jan was able to do that, he won rounds pretty pretty easily. Like he won the middle three rounds, no question. Yeah. He definitely lost the first. The last round is kind of that swing round. So whether you think Sanhagen won one round or two rounds, the, the pattern yeah. w was laid out there. That's a game plan that's, that uh, Yadong would need to follow and, and could follow. I just don't know if he does. This, this is a step up for him from the type of guys he's been fighting against. I like the way you described Sanhagen, the way he flows on offense. At his best, when he's really getting revved up and he's really in the rhythm, there are moments that remind me of a more diverse Max Holloway. Like Max Holloway with more funky stuff thrown in without just that, not the relentless pace, but where just, you know, he seems to have a perfect grasp on, on what the range is and be able to throw the perfect strikes. He's he's switching stances mid-strike to, you know, to help manage the distance and keep it at his preferred distance. I could see him doing that uh, to, to Yadong for at, at least three rounds out of five. But while both these guys have have power, I think if this fight turns on well either a knockout or on a single like fight altering strike that changes the whole tenor of the fight, I think it's probably coming from Yudong, not from Sanhagen. Yeah, I agree. So I'm picking Sanhagen, but I'm going to be nervous the whole time, uh, even though Same. I don't have any money on it. So give me Sanhagen by decision. I agree also that it'll be an absolute war and just a really fascinating fight but uh, it'll be just a little too much too soon for someone in Yudong that is clearly still improving enormously from fight to fight. That has been the SureDog Radio Network preview for UFC Fight Night 210, Sanhagen versus uh, Song, also known as UFC Vegas 60. If you are watching us for the first time, first of all, thank you. Uh, we, we appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed it. We think we provide... Uh, as good a blend of actual analysis, historical asides, and goofball fun as any you'll find in this industry. Uh, please do give us a subscribe, give us a like, leave us a comment. Keith and I both respond to those. Uh, we know we love to hear your disagreement as, as well as any agreement you have. But most importantly, join us for the recap. We will be live. Uh, 10 or 15 minutes after the main event on the SureDog YouTube page where we will break down all of these fights in reverse order of how we just did it now. We'll start from the main event, work our way all the way down to the surprisingly good first prelim. We will talk about what was good, what was bad, what was surprising, what was controversial. I guarantee you there will be something. And the live chat is open that whole time. So we are taking your questions, your comments, your hot takes, uh, and we have quite an interactive group of uh, fans there that want to share what they know and make each other laugh. We would love to have you join them in between then. And now thank you once again for listening. Enjoy the rest of your week and by all means, enjoy the fights.